Welcome to another edition of the Roar of the Lions UK podcast. It's episode number 80, Taking the Bears Down. Uh, my name's Matthew Turner, joined by my co-host Steve and Ant. How are you doing, boys? I cannot wait to get into the Bears on Sunday. Cannot wait. Yeah, doing, doing really good, thanks. Um, just want to give a shout out to the sponsor of today's show, because we do have one. Um, so yeah, today's show is sponsored by Trey Flowers Highlights, the highlights you're looking for, but we cannot find. Uh, I've just muted Ant, and if he wants to talk, he has to unmute himself, because I don't want to hear that fucking laughter. What up, though, <laughs> to Go Lions, One Pride 40, Antonio Jenkins, John Kapler, and Dan as well in the Twitch chat. Thank you to everyone who's watching along live. Thank you to you audio listeners, too. I uh, just want to start off by just trying to push as much as we've got going on right now. So yesterday, Anne and Ryan got out their college football podcast looking at week four, and it was a really busy week, wasn't it, Anne? Oh, God, yeah. We, we went on for quite a long time yesterday. These shows were meant to be short to start with, but so many of the big teams have been struggling in college. Your Clemsons, your LSUs have been really bad this year, so it's just creating so many storylines so many players coming out of nowhere who are doing well so you know we just got to roll with what we're given and it's really good you know it's a lot in this episode so you know you might have to do it in a couple of goes but honestly stick with it there's a lot going on especially in terms of players we're looking at so yeah it's all going well yep so if you're an audio listener i know that's up now youtube i think should be going up shortly and just been editing that at the moment so do go and check that out if you want to chat with us privately one-to-one then you can join us on our discord channel so hit us up dm us on twitter and you can join that don't forget to like and subscribe to us on youtube or the podcast providers what have you i actually want to start off though by saying we want to get our apple podcast reviews up this is something that i want to have a little bit of a focus on just because we're we're working so hard and i want to kind of get our, our rating up down there so if you do rate us on Apple Podcasts. Don't really care if you listen on Apple Podcasts or where you listen. But if you can go onto Apple Podcasts and give us a listen, you send us a screenshot on Twitter of it, I'll give you a big shout out at the start of next week's show. So please go and do that. It's going to help us a lot and probably hopefully doesn't cost you too much time to do it. So thank you in advance for doing that. We're going to kick off with some news and then we're going to move on to Sunday's trip to Soldier Field. And with that news, it transpires that in the last game, that 4th and 19 that the Lions gave up, the 36-yard play, we gave a lot of shit to Will Harris on the pod. It was unfair, unwarranted, because unfortunately my guy, Bobby Price, was the man at fault by the looks of it. He was playing one particular coverage scheme as everyone else was playing another. Um, young guy, inexperienced guy, I think everyone's willing to throw Will Harris under the bus. I'm not getting the same feeling about Bobby, more that it's just unfortunate. But how are you guys feeling now watching that playback? Because it's been scrutinised to hell by now. It's a rookie mistake and it's going to happen and it was always going to be the problem with the defence this year. When you've got three UDFAs in there, you're going to have issues. I mean, no one talks really about Jerry Jacobs running out of bounds on the 
punt that we managed to recover, but then didn't because he ran out of bounds. They're just mistakes that happen, and I know they're infuriating, but when you've got so many rookies on your defence, when you've got so many UDFAs on there, it's, it's just part and parcel of what's going to happen. But if you look at the bigger picture, you know, he had a tremendous game. I shouted him out on Twitter, targeted seven times, just one reception for five yards. I mean, you can't ask really for much more than that from a guy who started this season as a safety and has been transferred out to corner, has been called upon far earlier than any of us would imagine to go there. You know, if you look at his game as a whole, yes, he blew one coverage, which was a shame, but, you know, big picture speaking, he did really well. So I choose to look at that rather than the one play that he did let go. Yeah, same. I mean, you know, rookie mistakes, you know, are kind of excusable if they don't repeat themselves. And I think the reason why people, uh, you know, get the hunt with Harris is because, you know, is he in third, fourth season and he's still making mistakes, still missing tackles? Um, But yeah, it was just one of those things. And it was just a massive culmination of a series of unfortunate events finishing off with our crossbar that, that led us to lose that game rather than I think that one particular incident. Yeah. I agree. Right. Let's move on from that game now because it's in the past and we will never speak of it again. Um, Never. The biggest news otherwise is that the inside linebacker, former Patriot, Jamie Collins, has been released. Obviously, he was a trade candidate. Apparently, there was interest. There was potential offers. It seems like that was a bit of a lie. Um, He has gone per lines wire. That's going to hit our cap $7.3 million this year and $6.6 million next year. Um, no surprise, really, I don't think, in the end of the day. You know, we were all hopeful we could get something back for him. I was actually quite bullish. But to be honest, if someone had said to us, you can move down in the draft for this, we'll do a seventh round pick swap, but you've got to move down. I would have jumped all over that because I don't really want the dead cap. I don't know about you guys, but in the seventh round, I don't really care. So that would have been absolutely on the table for me. This is, you know, when we started the season, I highlighted Jamie Collins as someone that needed to have a good year for us to have a good year as a kind of a vet in that linebacking group core. And he's gone before quarter of the season started. Yeah, but it was entirely justified. I think he was just one of so many players where you've given them so many chances at this point and they've just not delivered. Um, we were never going to get draft capital for him purely because teams knew the situation with him. They knew that we wanted rid. They knew that it was going to cost a lot to take him on. So they just waited for us to cut him. I think it was just never really a feasible option to get anything for him. And I think the teams at the top of the waiver wire at the minute are the ones who maybe want him. They, they didn't need to. They can probably get a good chance of getting him on there. But in terms of the team, it's absolutely the right thing to do. Just take the dead cap hit this year. We've got enough of it already. I mean, it's 55 million. It's just more ammunition that's going to be given to us in the next free agency market. That's a huge chunk that's going to be made available. And he's just one of those guys who was never a foreseeable part of the future. And, you know, we've got younger guys here to come in. Hopefully it means Barnes is going to get more snaps now. JRM is going to get some. Beckett, I hope he gets called up. And Beckett is better is going to be hashtagging on our feed a lot because I do want to see him up there. Um, It's better to roll with these guys and see if we can develop one of them into a starter than just keep Collins here for the sake of keeping him here. You know, just at this point, it was just get rid. You know, dump all the cap you need and then we'll just focus on next year. Hope we can get a rookie to stand up this year. 100%. No turds here. You know, I think um, if, 
If you look at Jamie Collins, I don't think it was just about the Packers game. I think this is probably the culmination of a long line of incidents. You know, him getting tossed in that game for hitting the referee with his helmet. I think he missed a walkthrough in practice earlier in the season. Um, you know, if you go back a couple of years, there's um, stuff where people, I, I think, I don't know whether Riz had written an article um, on Lions Wire about Collins's attitude before we'd even taken him on. Um, you know, there's been question marks about his application on the field. So I think this is probably Collins was one of those players where they thought we'll give him a chance, you know, whether Dan Campbell sat him down before the season and, and gave him a talk and heard the right things, but he's just not delivered. But yeah, bye-bye. You've you've not contributed much for us over a, a number of seasons. So see you later. I'm pretty sad about it. I'm not going to lie. He was someone that I kind of was was bullish on just because I saw him have the ability. He does have the ability, but he just clearly hasn't tried enough. And it's really sad because, you know what, this is what Dan Campbell's going to be all about as a guy. And I felt like if you can do it under a disciplinarian regime, then why can't you motivate yourself to do it under someone who's going to be a bit more fun? Fuck off, Max Belichick. Um, right? <laughs> Let's move on to the next one. And Jashon Cornell has been reinstated from his suspension that happened on Tuesday. We have until today to be under the roster limit, although we currently with him are at 52 players, so one under the, uh, the roster cap. And we've still got the kicker, Austin Siebert, to come back from COVID reserve. That will make our 53 unless anything changes. I mean, Cornell could be could be cut and try to re-sign to the practice squad, and we might sign someone from the practice squad to replace him we don't really know yet but at the moment he has reverted to our our main roster so that's a good move uh moving on just slightly and we'll discuss all of these points as one the lines are moving up the power rankings based on their good performance in the first three games of this season they may be 0-3 but i think they've taken a lot of people by surprise from you know the bottom three They've moved up to 27th per the NFL zone rankings and 26th on USA Today, notably ahead of the Bears in 27th, despite their 1-2 and two start. And offensive coordinator Anthony Lynn has been linked to the vacant head coach job at USC. And, and I know you spoke about this on the college pod, so I'm going to throw it to Steve first. This feels very fast for him to be taking almost a year out of football to be coming to the Lions and after three games, he potentially could be moving on. I, I can't see it. I mean, I, I just don't think it's likely to happen. Um, I, I think it's probably just uh, speculation, but I'd be very, very surprised if he came to the Lions and, you know, kind of joined this coaching staff and committed to, to what the guys are doing and then took the first job that was available uh, in college. Um, you know, normally when when jobs come up at this point of the season it's because there's an absolute dumpster fire going on um so you know i'm i'm not sure that he's going to take it i i think there's probably we need to wait and see yeah what about you man what do you think yeah he's not going um not at least this season anyhow usc are in a whole lot of bother at the minute they're meant to be a lot better than they are slovis is struggling the team in general is struggling I don't see him going there just yet. I think the most likely scenario me and Ryan came up with is that they hire an interim for this season and then they take a shot at him next off season. But I think, you know, Anthony Lynn's been gifted a big opportunity here. 
you just got fired from the Chargers. Sometimes it's not easy to get another job in the league again. And he's been given a big responsibility here, especially if he can turn this offense into something feared in Detroit, then he's going to have a one-way ticket back to a head coach's job again sooner rather than later. But the only tempting thing for him is if they offer him enough money because college football offer ridiculous amounts of money for coaches. They pay them a hell of a lot of money. So that would be the only reason I'd see him going, but certainly don't see it happening this season. If USC hire a temporary head coach, that's something to watch out for. Then I'd start to be a little concerned about it. I can't see either that um, if an NFL head coaching job did come up, I would imagine that Brian Dayball and Eric Bieniemy are both in the line ahead of Anthony Lynn anyway. So I would have thought that Lynn could easily do the role for a couple of years before it's time for him to, to move on. Well, in terms of our team as well, it's I think we're already resigned to the fact that we've got Aaron Glenn two years max before he's a head coach. And I truly believe that, you know, we can't lose them both in one year. That would be bad for the rebuild. So we need Lynn to be here for some considerable time unless he's training someone in his midst otherwise because Glenn's not going to be here much longer. Yeah, I, I'm all about, you know, Lynn and, and the start he's made. The thing is, at the moment, where he's at, I think he's in a no-lose situation. Like, he, he can't look worse than the offensive coordinators we've had over the last five years. And with a team you know, expected to be in the bottom five in the league by pretty much everyone in the NFL. He can really only look good. So I don't think he's going to do himself any damage by staying here for a full season. The team's already surprising people. So you think he's, you think he's like showing more than Jim Bob Cooter? He's, we've all said, you know, we've all said already that the offense just looks a completely different machine to what it has been. It was plan A and plan A only under the entire Patricia era. Now it looks actually teams are struggling to deal with it. So, you know, if he carries this on, like I say, he's going to have a first first class ticket back to a head coach's job. So it depends entirely on what his motivations are, but I'd hope that he wants to be part of the revolution here before making any decisions about going elsewhere. I think the thing about Jim Bob is that he walks into a favourable situation. You know, the the defence in his first year was good, so his offence had plenty of opportunities. Stafford had just started to kind of take himself to that next level, having been good but not great at the start of his career, and he kind of elevated during Jim's time. So I think Jim saw the best of Stafford, but his offensive scheme was not particularly inventive. So... You know, it was predictable. It just worked for a while, but he fell off the wagon very quickly. Oh, big time. Yeah, big time. And same with Daryl Bevel. Showed flashes, but then also showed some absolutely appalling games where he completely got out coached. So, yeah, I think Anthony Lynn's not necessarily set the world on fire yet, but there's been some really, really promising signs. Um, so I think, you know, I, I, I think he would be much better... Showing the rest, you know, showing the kind of like NFL world what he can do with this offense over the next season and a half, and then he's going to be in a really good position if another job comes up in a couple of years' time. I think the thing with him is that watching him now, watching what he did at the Bills, and then watching what he did at the Chargers as a head coach, I do buy into the argument that he's a much better coordinator than he is head coach. So he's a terrible clock manager, absolutely yeah, terrible. Really bad. So. 
does he know that himself? You know, does he realise that that's what it is? I mean, there's room for him to improve as a head coach. You know, it was his first time and, you know, some guys on their second stint do do better. Some people just not cut out for it. If he realises that OC is his ceiling, whether in college or in, in the pros, if he does it well here, we could see him be here for a long time. You never know. You know, some people have good self-awareness, and I think that Lynn actually does, from what I've heard of him so far. He's a, a humble guy. So, I don't know. Anyway, let's move on and talk about the game. So, Lions going to the Bears on Sunday, 6 p.m. UK time, 1 p.m. ET in the States. Bears enter the game three-point favourites per bet fair over under 42.5. And how the fuck are they favourites? Sorry. Sorry, some soldier feels. Three points given to them. So, you know, if you subscribe to That's How Vegas Does It, Vegas thinks that we're very similarly matched teams, but I don't buy it. Bears 1 and 2, although per PFR, their expected win-loss by how they played is half a game to two and a half games, whereas the Lions have 0.9 to 2.1. So the Lions actually are expected to have half a win more than the Bears so far this season. Their overall PFF grade as a team is 57. That's 29th on the season. The Lions 61.9. That's 27. So that kind of vaguely correlates with where those power rankings have gone. So far this season, their first three games, they lost 34-14 at the Rams. They won 20-17 at home against the Bengals and then lost 26-6 at the Browns. So they've lost two games they would expect to lose and they've won a game they would expect to win. I guess the thing for them is the manner in which they lost their week three game, because I don't think they looked awful against the Rams. I didn't think they looked great, but I didn't think they looked bad against the Bengals, but they completely fell off the wagon against the Browns. They could have been absolutely blown away. They were lucky to win that game against the Bengals. Burrow had like a meltdown um, in the second half and threw, I think three picks in the space of about six plays. Um, And without that, they wouldn't have won that game. Um, I cannot think of a better time to be playing the Chicago Bears. Um, I've got a horrible feeling I'm going to be... I need to be really careful what I say because I could just be having a a terrible Monday. Um, But I genuinely think, you know, I've been quite down on the Lions' chances and quite pessimistic and said that we were going to start 0-3 and here we are 0-3. But I think this could very easily be our first win of the season. Because this team absolutely stinks. Um, the defence has certainly lost its teeth since the kind of days of Vic Fangio in 2018. The offence, I mean, yeah, let's, let's just have a look at some, some stats. Um, against the Browns, 47 total yards of offence. 47 total yards. That's the second lowest total this century. yards per play, which is the lowest of any team since 2004. Um, Justin Field starting in his rookie game, rookie year, first game that he's been a starter, completed six passes um, and took an unbelievable nine sacks. I mean, I think that's the first time that a player has taken nine or more sacks since 1970 and with that few completions. Um, you know, 68 yards, zero TD, zero interceptions, a net total passing of one yard because he threw for 68 
and lost 67 while being sacked. It, this is, I mean, those are historically bad numbers. And, you know, I think the thing where the Bears fan base are at at the moment, I don't think anyone was particularly surprised because they've been doing this for a couple of seasons. They've been, I think there was a game against Minnesota last season when they managed like 149 yards of total offence. Um, you know, and, and this is an offence that's just absolutely stinking the place out. The, the camera court, I don't know if anyone saw, the camera court, Nick Foles and Andy Dalton on the touchline during the game. And the camera, you don't need to be a lip reader to see that Foles says to Dalton, this offence isn't working. And that's probably the biggest indictment of all. Yeah, I mean, the thing that's carried over from last season for me is that the Bears are legitimately the worst team to watch in the NFL. Like, I don't hold out much hope for this being a particularly watchable game with the Lions' run defense being improved, the Lions' offense being hot, cold, the Bears' defense being good, you know, good enough. Not great, I'm not going to say, but they're good enough. That I think that this could be a really bad game to watch. I don't know about you guys. I mean, if we can get Swift involved, if we can get Hawk involved, but if Chicago have any sense whatsoever, those are the only two guys they're going to worry about on the field. And just let the D-line try and go after golf and mark those two guys at the game. That that should be the game plan for Chicago, right? If we beat the Bears 3-0 with a field goal, I'll, I'll be watching it. I'll be absolutely glued to it. I mean, any win against the Bears is, is watchable. But yeah, I, I, know, I know exactly what you mean. Um. Yeah, I can't really add much to more what's been said there. They've just the Bears were terrible offensively last year. Again, one of the worst teams to watch there. They've not really got a whole deal better there. Their quarterbacks are banged up. Their offensive line is one of the worst in football currently, as you saw the other day. It's they're there for the taking. And, you know, I know we're not in the greatest situation ourselves at the minute, but I do hold a lot of hope going into this one just purely because that defense, which has been carrying that team for so many years now, is, is getting old and they're losing key aspects of it. You know, guys like Robert Quinn just not performing. You know, Akeem Hicks, he never has a good day against us. Mack has been injured this week. It was only going to be a matter of time until this defense started failing and this team's weaknesses were exposed to us. And it's there for everybody to see. It's, you know, they are not a good team. I, I would say they're just as bad as we are probably at the minute. They've got a bit more overall individual talent, but we are playing as a team. We're playing more than the sum of our parts, whereas they individually are not playing so well. So, you know, yeah, there is a window this weekend for absolute sure. Um, I'd be interested to see how we go into it because, you know, we've just gone toe-to-toe with the Ravens who are a playoff-bound team. You know, can we sort of put our foot on this one, really put some pressure on them? Because, I mean, Matt Nagy, he's must be on one of the hottest seats in the NFL right now. And I don't think it's within the realms of possibility that if we beat them, he's out of there. I think if we beat him badly, if we beat the Bears badly, he is potentially out there. If it's narrow, I can see him holding on for another week. But if we blow no. him out, if we blow him out, I can see it for sure. Let's let's talk a little bit more about their offense in detail. So just statistically, 
272 passing yards so far, last in the NFL. 84 attempts, it's 29th. One touchdown is 31st, and two interceptions is 10th. I mean, they've hardly thrown, so how can they have any interceptions? 303 rushing yards, it's 20th in the NFL, two touchdowns, 16th. Three turnovers overall is 11th. Their third down conversion rate is 32%, that's 28th, and they haven't converted a fourth down yet in the red zone. On seven trips, they've got three passing, oh, three touchdowns total. That's 43%, which is 26th in the NFL. Looking at that QBs, Andy Dalton could play in this game. He was limited, I want to say, in the injury report. He was limited with a knee, so he could be well on his way back. And if they've got any sense, they're going to start him in this game. 73.5% completion rate this season. 36 of 49 for a touchdown and an interception. He was sacked on 7.5% of his dropbacks and a PFF grade of 77.4. They might start Justin Fields. 14 of 35 is a 40, 40% completion rate. No touchdowns, one interception. He has been sacked on 24% of his dropbacks. His PFF grade is 48.4. Main threats on offense. Running back Montgomery has 46 attempts for 203 yards. That's a 4.4 yards per attempt average for one touchdown. One of their highest grades on offense per PFF, 70.4. And Allen Robinson, probably top five wide receiver in the NFL, only has 10 catches on 21 throws his way for 86 yards and a touchdown. That's less than half completed his way. PFF grade of 60.4. If you're not au fait with the PFF ranking system. 60 is a replacement level average player. So 60.4 means that Alan Robinson has been thrown to so little that you could have anyone in there and it would be the exact same offense. It's it's anemic, boys. Yeah, but I mean, that just shows you the power of how your offensive line, you know, shapes your offense in general because they've not had one you know the quarterbacks haven't had time to throw they've been getting chased all over the field they can't get the running game going as much as they want to just because the lanes aren't there that's the center of their problems and it's absolutely the bullseye we need to be putting on there because the one place we are strong and have depth in this team is on our defensive line we're going to be causing them so many problems going forward, no matter who is at quarterback, simply because we've now got guys who can rush the passer, which we've never had. Um, but as far as theirs goes, they rely on a few players. But, you know, poor Al- I, feel, I feel for Alan Robinson. They've kept him there on the franchise tag. He, he quite clearly doesn't want to be there. They've not given him any really weapons to go with him this year to help him out. And... You know, Montgomery, he's a great running back on a great, you know, if he would be on a great team. You can see the talent is there, and we've seen it in previous years against us. They've done really well against us. But, you know, the opportunity is there because that line is straight trash. I mean, uh, I I don't even know where to start with this. Um, Let's start on the line. So this is like classic Bears, classic Ryan Pace GM ship this is. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they get the opportunity to trade up for fields. And then all of a sudden, Tevin Jenkins falls out of nowhere, out the first round, into their lap in the, in the middle, of, middle of the second round, I think, where they, where they got him at 39. So you just think, you know, amazing. They've got their franchise quarterback, and now they've got this key piece in their O-line. 
But then Ryan Pace does exactly what he always does. He fucks it up. And they cut Charles Leno, who's a perfectly serviceable left tackle. Not the best, but perfectly serviceable. And within, I think, days of cutting Leno, Jenkins injures his back and he's on injured reserve and he's going to miss most of the season. And all of a sudden, you've now got a 39-year-old, I think he's Jason Peters playing at left tackle, who is like a turnstile. And Miles Gower and Jadavon Clowney must have just been pissing their pants um, on Sunday night because they absolutely feasted. And, you know, I think nine sacks and 15 QB hits. I mean, it's it's amazing that Fields is alive. Um, after the game, um, Dan Orlovsky, who, you know, is maybe a controversial figure, but he's one of ESPN's better analysts. He said... The Chicago Bears should fire Matt Nagy today because yesterday's game plan, which was the worst one I've ever seen in my life, was either negligent or intentional. Basically, and, what we were know, saying about the Bengals is coming true for the Bears. And, and for the point of view of, of, of the Bears fan base, Justin Fields is their future. You know, they've, they've massively traded away draft capital to get him. He's absolutely their franchise quarterback. He's got a cannon for an arm. He's great on his legs, quick, athletic, 4.4, 40-yard dash. Um, so, you know, this is this is someone who could be like a mini Lamar in terms of how he plays. But the playbook that that, Pace, uh, that um, Nagy is, is calling, it's, it's the Andy Dalton playbook. He's not adjusting at all. He's giving him a pocket passer playbook where he has to stay still in the pocket and wait for his receivers to get open. His receivers aren't getting open. He's got no protection. I think on 13 out of 20 dropbacks, they were only playing a five-man front line. So they've got, you know, they've got some good tight ends at Chicago. I think Jimmy Graham got seven snaps, and he's you know a blocking tight end. Jesse James, I mean, we know Jesse, that he's serviceable at the very yeah. best. Um, and, but they, they're just going to get Fields killed. And, and when you look at how some rookie... I mean, look at what happened to Burrow in, in the, the Bengals with a shitty O-line last season, blows out his knee, rips his knee to bits. That could have been career-ending. Um, there's no way that Fields can take nine sacks and 15 QB hits week on, week out and, and survive the season. So if I was a Bears fan, I would be absolutely sweating every time Field steps on that field. And, you know, one of the things I find most perplexing is one of their biggest weapons they've got in that team is sat on their practice squad. They drafted Draz, uh, Daz Newsom this year. Oh, I thought you were talking kid. about T's table then. Sorry, carry on. No, I said hey, I said offensive <laughs> weapon to start with. Oh, so that sorry, joke sorry. get you anywhere. T's table was never an offensive player. Except he was an offensive player to me. He, he is a weapon. Yes, yes. But <laughs> anyhow, back to the point. They've got one of their most you know, potent weapons sat on their practice squad. They drafted Daz Newsom this year, and I called it the steal of the draft. They got him at about 220, which is ridiculous. The guy is so quick, gets so much separation. I compared him to Tyree Kill at one point just because he's got that elite level speed to get away from people and stretches the field down. He's a perfect target for someone like Justin Fields to use. And he's sat on their practice squad doing nothing. I mean, when they initially released him, I was clamoring for us to sign him. You know, I desperately wanted us to get him. He'd be an absolutely great player here, but 
you know, it's good for us that he's sat there, but it's just one of Neji's like perplexing decisions to keep him there because the kid can play and to a very high level. The thing is, the, the, no, go on, Matt. I was just say the problem with having burners on this team is they have to actually have enough time to run down the field so that the QB can get the ball to them. On the point about the the scheme, Steve, and you said he's been giving a pocket passes scheme, but the receivers aren't getting free down the field and he hasn't got enough time in the pocket because of the O-line. I was listening to the Pride of Detroit uh, First Bite podcast where they had the guy from the Bears edition of SV Nation. can't remember exactly what the name of it is, but it doesn't matter. And he was saying that he is absolutely a pocket quarterback who has elite-level athleticism, but he is an accurate pocket passer. And he's a guy who's got a 40% completion rate. Like... If that doesn't tell you that something's badly, badly wrong, then, you know, there's something wrong with you. The thing that I'm looking forward to most in this game is Peters versus Aquara. Because Jason Peters is their second highest rated player per PFF on their offense. 75.7. And six weeks ago, he was, you know, twiddling his thumbs on his couch wondering if he still had a job in the NFL. So he's come in and he's done a very good job at left tackle, basically on an island with everyone else around him just crumbling. Aquara, on the season so far, only three games in, has 16 pressures. He's joint fourth in the NFL, along with Miles Garrett, I think. I think they have the same number of pressures. Now, he's not converted that to sacks just yet, but just you wait. If he beats up on Peters and the rest of that line is already bad, this could be an absolute massacre. I'm not even looking there. For me, this is the coming out game for Liam McNeil because um, the teams we've played so far, you know, rushing, you know, the rushing side, San Francisco, Baltimore, they attack the edge a lot. They get it out wide when they run. Chicago don't. They run up the gut, which is his speciality, which is where he excels in defense because, you know, a lot of teams just been bypassing him. Your nose can't do it when they're running it on the edge all the time. But this week, I think you're going to see him and he's coming up against a bad center. He's, he's not got the best up, you know, the, the guards aren't good. The center's poor. You know, I genuinely believe, I know I've spoke a lot about him and I praise him all the time, but this is going to be Alan McNeil's come, you know, coming out game where he really announces himself on the NFL scene. And I think for that point as well, if Levi's in there, they, they're just going to, they're going to cause so many issues here. Those guards are ripe to be targeted in the interior. And those two, I believe, are just going to have an absolute field day. And I don't think Monty's going to have much success if they keep Aleem in there for a lot of the snaps because they've not been playing him much. But this is the week they need to play him because this is the week he's really going to show his worth to us. I think in terms of the the, the playbook that Nag is calling, with someone who's, who's like a mobile like Fields, you need to call you know, designed QB bootlegs or rollouts that take the pressure off the O-line and give him time to throw a deep ball. But they weren't. They didn't They didn't call anything like that. He was just been made to stand still in the pocket, praying that the O-line, you know, stayed intact while he went through his progressions and, and checked through his receivers. But none of them were getting open. And, you know, going back to talking about Alan Robinson... You know, I've got sympathy for Alan Robinson or as much as I can for anyone who's playing on a franchise tag for $17.9 million a year. But he's had his worst start since he got to Chicago. This is like his worst statistically first three games he's ever had. The guy is going to be fuming. Jimmy Graham has already been on social media 
and retweeted um, one of the um, sports sites who were like quoting a stat about how bad the Bears offense is. You can see Foles and Dalton muttering on the sidelines. It kind of feels like Nagy's losing the dressing room. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, the thing about Nagy, and I, I hesitate to compare him to a certain Rams coach, but the thing that linked them for me is a lack of pragmatism. And what I mean by that is the Rams and the Bears both had one good season with their, or two maybe, good seasons with their respective young quarterbacks taken some four or five years ago. And that was done through knowing that those guys were young, catering to their faults, and deciding that what the most important thing to do was was to maximise their chance of winning. But both coaches have gone away from that. And now, you know, the Rams have a quarterback where they don't have to worry too much about that. But the Bears, for me, have gone, he's a pocket passer, so let's be a pocket passer. Totally forgetting that there are 10 other players. And, like, if you can't win that way, it doesn't matter if that's how your quarterback does best, but how does your team do best? And Nagy has just completely lost his way. At the moment, he is not fit to be an NFL coach. But he's, he's not had to adapt his offense because they've piggybacked off that defense for so many years. They can yeah. always guarantee themselves seven, eight, nine victories because that defense will keep team scores down and will score points for them. You know, they'll get return touchdowns, interceptions, pick sixes. That's why he's never had to adapt his offense and why his skill players there are so limited. And it's coming back to haunt him now because you were never going to keep that defense together forever. And it's not the force it once was anymore. And now you're seeing the limitations of his offense coming together. And like I say, there's just, it's all centered around that offensive line. Everything they do is centered around it. And it's not there. It's absolute garbage. And to think we put up four sacks last week on a team that only gave up 19 over 16 games last year and had only given up three against the Raiders and the Chiefs this year. I mean, the Raiders have got a really good pass rushing attack. You know, if we can get to Lamar behind a fairly solid O-line with a mobile quarterback, what do you think we're going to be able to do against a static Andy Dalton or a Justin Fields who's been left to fend for himself? I think we've got real reason to be positive about this matchup here because, as I say, getting to Lamar Jackson is really difficult and we managed it four times in one game with various rushes as well. Yeah. I, I think that um, in, in terms of Nagy and his role, Nagy was brought into the Bears as this kind of like mythical QB whisperer who, you know, Andy Reid coaching tree at Philly and Kansas City, and he was the guy that was going to, you know, make something with a Bears quarterback. Bears haven't had a decent quarterback since Jim McMahon, you know, and it's been a decade of, of like a poor offense in, in, in Chicago and, and Nagy's whole kind of like reason for coming into that team was to revitalize the offense and they're kind of getting worse and worse. Um, and he, he doesn't seem to have any ideas. David Montgomery got 10 carries, I think for 34 yards on Sunday. Um, you know, he is probably in the top 15, 20 NFL current running backs and you can't get Montgomery going um, you're not meant doing anything with Alan Robinson um, it, it just feels like he is a typical bad coach that's so obsessed with making his system work he's lost that kind of situational ability to adapt 
And now he's been given this kind of like new toy in Justin Fields, but he's still treating him like, you know, like Mitch Trubisky. But the thing is, the reason Mitch Trubisky was able to have such such success against us is because they could implement that run game against us. And then he just did his play action stuff, as so many quarterbacks over the years have. You know, that's something they're not going to have this year. We've got a very effective defensive line for change and their offensive line is bad. So I think I think we're going to see a change from recent years. I know people are going to be worried that they're going to put up a lot on us, but if we maintain the discipline, if we do exactly what we did last week and send a lot of pressure towards the quarterback against the lesser opposition, we're going to get a lot of success. It's just about maintaining the discipline and you know hoping the secondary learns from its errors when they do go deep on us. But you know, there's nothing there that particularly concerns me, even with the skill players. Like I say, just because that central foundation is so weak and we are in a position where we can take advantage of it. We drafted the players for this exact type of team. Yeah, so I personally, I worry only if Dalton starts. Fields doesn't worry me. I just don't see Foles playing. I've seen a few people think they think Foles is the most likely because he's the guy with the highest ceiling who's not injured in that quarterback room. But I just, I don't think there's any way back for Foles now. I think they'd rather just start Fields. But if Dalton plays and he can get the ball out quickly to, and it's been highlighted in the chat a lot, Jimbo G especially, but others as well, that we've had problem covering tight ends. That's no secret. If Jimmy Graham or Cole Komet can be a fi- fixture in this game, if you have someone who is as accurate as a passer as, as Dalton is, Dalton gets the ball out quickly, which he needs to do behind that O-line, that that can do some damage to us. So my question to you guys is, how do we combat our issue with tight ends? Well, you know, we've got more mobile linebackers for one, now that Jamie Collins isn't in there. I think, you know, because obviously your linebacking cause a big element when it comes to facing off against tight ends. So, you know, you've got Barnes in there now who's got more speed. You've got Reeves Mabin, who is not the best guy in the world, but has more speed. But if you, you can negate the tight end threat, if you put a lot of pressure, and I know I'm repeating it again and again on that offensive line, they're going to need the tight ends in there to block. They're not going to be able to deploy them in an offensive capacity, especially if you get success early you land a couple of sacks, a couple of QB hits early on, they're going to have to put an extra man in there to deal with the pass rush. That's how you negate the tight ends. Put pressure on and stop them using them offensively. Or if they're going to use them, just say, right, well, if you're going to use your guys there, we're going to absolutely destroy your quarterback. Pick your poison. Yeah, we, we can't be passive. Like, you saw how aggressive the Browns were. You know, JOK, Gower, Clowney, just absolutely screaming off the edge after him and we've got to do the same we've got to you know add some blitzes we we don't want to give him any time and you know I I think Aaron Glenn yeah absolutely we need to keep an eye on the tight ends and it it was good that Anzalone seemed to be organising a lot better I'm not saying he he still had the best game but he certainly seemed to be a better organiser on Sunday so you know I, I think there's definitely signs of hope well, that's the thing, you know, it's not just one part of the line we're going to be dominating on here. I genuinely think that entire defensive line from side to side, we are better, purely and simply. You know, McNeil in the middle, 
Levi and Brockers in the middle. I mean, Jesus, they're going to have an absolute field day there. And then they're not even taking into account the pass rushes. And then they're not even taking into account if you've got Derek Barnes in your backfield and he exploits a gap and gets in there. Just, you know, we found success against Lamar by putting pressure on him and trying to protect that secondary bit. And yes, I know a few passes were dropped, but for the most part, again, four sacks, very successful. Follow that formula again. We've got the guys to go after the quarterback now, and that is our best way of defending ourselves, is to just go out there and be flat-out aggressive. And we are going to cave in so many holes in that line because all over it, we match up better. Yeah, so a couple of points for me. First one is, I think the guy to do it, and I hate saying this considering what everyone was saying about him two weeks ago or less, but I think the matchup guy is Alex Anzalone. Because a couple of times in week three, tight ends, Mark Andrews, totally free, busted coverage somewhere, linebacker, safety, someone effectively just wasn't picking up Mark Andrews. And the ball wasn't thrown his way a huge amount, but it could have gone there pretty much every single time. And that's one of the things, having looked back at the game, that was missed by Lamar Jackson fairly constantly, sometimes because he was throwing deep because he saw that too. But we didn't do a good job at all in that regard. Um, I agree with Ant in terms of the, you know, constant pressure. But Anzalone is the best coverage linebacker that we have in inverted commas. I, I don't know what that means, really. But, you know, he's a guy who potentially can cover. And he showed a lot more physicality than I've been used to from him. So when it comes to matching up against the tight end, I think he's got to be the guy. Let Barnes, let Jalen Rees-Maven be the guys floating about trying to hit gaps and plug things up and be free to kind of do what they do best. And get Anzalone on that tight end and hopefully you can shut him down. And that might be a route to victory. But something else. <laughs> so that, that's kind of what I was going to say. Send the attack. So as a Liverpool fan, and it's one of the reasons why I'm not going to be watching the game live on Sunday because I'm going to the Liverpool City Are you a Liverpool fan, Matt? Because you don't mention it very often. Sorry, for a very proud Liverpool fan, um, is our coach Jurgen Klopp has, uh, oh. used, used to have, before he came to Liverpool, the first couple of years here, had a, a philosophy called heavy metal football, or Gegenpressen it was in, in Germany. But effectively, the idea was constant energy for the entire game. You out you out-physical you, your opponents. You run further than them, faster than them, faster than they can react. And it's constant attack. Just no defense whatsoever. None of this prevent defense crap. You know, you are cover one, cover zero most of the time. Basically, the Baltimore Ravens are Liverpool. It, as a kind of direct comparison in terms of the way the defense plays, it's just true to me. And if we can do that against the Bears and put them under a lot of pressure, I think that is another way that we can win, at least blitz more than we have been doing. And we've been doing it a lot. Uh, I was just catching up on the chat. And I just, you know, again, I don't want to tempt fate. But, you know, when you look at the offensive weapons that we're up against the NFC North, Devontae Adams, Aaron Jones, Dalvin Cook, Thielen, Jefferson, if we're getting worried about Jimmy Graham, if that's our main thing that we're like fretting about come on guys like let's be optimistic and okay, but, fuck jimmy but, graham we've got tj hawkinson yeah, but when, jimmy graham when, has burned us in the past yes but that is because of you know you've got to take into account the situation we were in then they were implementing a running game on us because we had no defensive line and we had no run blocking defenders and they were able to play that play action game which graham excels in 
that's different now. This isn't the same situation. You're coming up against a Lions defense that can stop the run, that's going to be pressuring the quarterback and not give them the ability to make these short, simple passes. Because Jimmy Graham runs like, you know, a concrete, like a brick. He doesn't run very fast at all. He's not going to be able to get into a situation to get the ball before we've got at the quarterback. And we've just got pressure we can send everywhere. Like I say, you're just taking into account the top seven, not even including them. You've Barnes in there. You've Tracy Walker, who's a few hits this year in a sack. You know, send him. It's the pressure can come from anywhere. And Aaron Glenn mixes up his schemes well because you don't know what's coming. And, you know, we've just got so many options to go after there. So just do it. It worked last week very well. Talking about like, Blitzes that you won't don't see coming, and talking about particularly athletic guys, corner blitz from Bobby Price would be interesting. Just as an idea, he's the most yeah. athletic guy on the team. He's a fast guy. But that's what I mean. You're down to like your fourth or fifth option already. You've still got that many plans in front of that you can use. So, yeah, it's this is a completely different situation to when we played Chicago the last time, and Graham kept burning us for touchdowns. Our defense is set up differently now. They're not going to be able to play the same way they usually do against us. You know, I mean, how many times were we ever able to sack Mitch? I don't feel like we ever were able to get it in much because we never had the guys to do it, and he was allowed to do as he pleased. You know, when they came back against us in that first game last year, he had so much time to send his throws downfield. They're, they're incumbent QBs not going to have that this year. That's just the simple thing I'd say to those who are worried about is we are built differently. And yes, we've got our weaknesses, but, you know, in this game, we're geared up. This is geared up towards our strengths. So we're going to see it more. Um, Dan Pass on Twitch. How you doing, Dan? Good luck with your job interview, man. Um, he said, hearing Ant makes me think of Leon and Gary Oldman saying, send everyone. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, it's true, so, <laughs> Yeah, it's true. Right, we've spent enough time on offense who's going to score three points this game. But let's talk about a defense that might actually give us some trouble. They've conceded the 694 passing yards this year. That's 11 in the NFL. Bear in mind that's over double what they've scored. Um, and it's still above average. Six touchdowns conceded is 21st, so not good in that regard. But three interceptions is 7th. In terms of rushing yards, 358 is 20th in the NFL, despite their anemic performance last week. Two touchdowns is 10th. On third down, they are allowing conversions at a rate of 48.8%. That's 26, so not good at all on third down. Fourth down, allowing two of five, 40% is 15th, so they tighten up on four. In the red zone, they allow four touchdowns on nine possessions. 44.4% is sick in the NFL. In terms of players to watch, there's a few. But as has been highlighted before, they're getting older and perhaps they're not playing as well as they could be doing. There's actually a guy I've missed out here, so I'm going to highlight him too because he could be back as well. But let's start with Roquan Smith. Now, this guy has not had the best year so far in terms of PFF rating, but... He's been on an island, really, for, for most of what's been happening. He has a lot of, I think, responsibilities in this defense, should we say, and that isn't necessarily conductive to him rating well, but he, he is definitely a big part of what this team do. Rohan Smith, an interception which ended up being a pick six, a pass defended, a sack, 29 tackles so far in three games, 16 solo. One of those was a tackle for a loss, as well as a quarterback hit. 
PFF grade of only 49.7. There is another linebacker that I have not mentioned because he's been on, on IR, but is eligible to return for this game, which is Danny Trevathan, uh, one of the best linebackers in the league. I think consistently kind of just up there. He's eligible to return and he is in practice, but they have three weeks to decide whether to bring him back from IR or shut him down for the season. So there's no guarantee he'll be activated, but he was not limited in Wednesday's injury report. I don't think he has to be reported on because he's on IR, so we don't know how far he's coming along, but that could be a potential weapon that we don't see coming. Uh, cornerback Jalen Johnson, their highest rated player on the team per PFF, 77.3. He has an interception, five passes defended, 10 tackles and eight solo. The one guy who's played consistently well on this defense so far, legitimately one of the better cornerbacks in this league. Offense, uh, sorry, um, outside linebackers, Robert Quinn and Khalil Mack. So Quinn, four sacks, seven tackles, five solo, five quarterback hits, PFF grade 66. And Khalil Mack, PFF grade of 67. He's got three sacks, five tackles, three solo, and three quarterback hits. And then also the no tackle, Akeem Hicks, only half a sack, 10 tackles, four quarterback hits. 66.6666 for Akeem Hicks. Um, it, on its day, with all of the parts functioning well, that's a defense which is going to match up with anyone in this league. But the number of times it has to be out on the field, they're going to tire by the fourth quarter, aren't they? The thing is, a lot of these guys are carrying injuries as well. You know, uh, Max dealing with injury. You know, I think Eddie Goldman, their proper nose tackle, he's out at the minute, or he's at least questionable for this one. Just, there's no, there's very little depth behind the starters, and the starters are really good on the day. And of course, we've got to be worried about them. But the one thing I've seen this year that's given me great hope is that Anthony Ling comes in with a game plan, and if for whatever reason it's not working, he's able to adapt and find the weaknesses in there because he did it against the Ravens. The Ravens completely and utterly nullified us in the first half of that game. And we just didn't look like scoring any points that day whatsoever. Yet we come back out 15 minutes later. They couldn't stop us for love nor money. So I would back him to come up against this defense and to figure out the holes. You know, they do have trouble defending the run sometimes. And, you know, we've seen what Ragnow can do to the likes of Hicks and that in the middle, you know, there's going to be gaps there to run. Sewell has come up against much, you know, against some of the best in the league. He's played against Bosa already. He's played against um, Adams for Green Bay. He's come up against some of the league's elite rushers. So I don't think it's going to be anything new to him. I think, you know, he's more than worthy of matching up in this. I think the offensive line in general is, again, that's been a lot better than it has in recent years now. We've got all our starters in there. They're all healthy. So I think we're going to be able to deal with it a lot better. And the longer you keep, I think the key is keeping them out there because there were so many games I watched last year with the Bears defense and they're really good, but because that offense can't stay on the field, you gas them early and the, the replacements are not anywhere near the level of the starters. So it's critical that you get long drives in, keep them out there, and then you negate a lot of the problems that they cause you just because they can't keep up the pace all game. But I trust Anthony Lynn to come up with a game plan to battle them because, as I say, I've seen him do it. This is a very unpredictable offense, which for halves has just completely bamboozled teams. The first half of the Packers game, the second half of the Ravens game, 
he finds a way to make it work even with not the greatest selection of talent in the world to deal with he gets the running backs involved he gets the tight ends involved you know we do trick plays we do all sorts so you know because of that I feel a lot less worse than I would about the Bears defense than I usually would but that's not to say they can't cause us problems because absolutely they can I mean Steve Eddie Goldman is is someone that I might highlight as a big will he, won't he play? I don't know how much you know about him, but in terms of being that big, all-encompassing nose tackle that we hope we've now got here, having him play there and then managing to push Hicks onto the outside should help that run defence. Yeah, I mean, you know, Goldman's the heartbeat of their defence and has just always been like an absolute vital chess piece in there. But, you know, he's he's had a lot of injury problems. You know, the, the three players for me on the Bears that worry me are Khalil Mack is the obvious one. Uh, you know, he, this is, he's definitely in decline. He definitely gasses early, but this is someone that can still buy us. But, you know, it, this is not the Khalil Mack of 2018. Um, we've talked about Roquan Smith, pro- probably one of the handful, absolute handful of players I would from the Bears that I would want on the Lions ro- roster. I think Roquan Smith is an absolutely awesome player a real all-round quality linebacker and I think the other one's Jalen Johnson so the Bears lost Kyle Fuller because they're in absolutely screwed with their cap they they lost Kyle Fuller he went to the Broncos in the offseason and they just don't have the depth at cornerback Jalen Johnson actually didn't have a very good season last year and got burned a lot but he's really stepped up like his performance is, is totally um, you know, shot up and uh, over the off season, and he has absolutely been one of their best players. So I think he is going to be tough uh, um, in terms of defending whoever our wide receiver one is going to be. Um, but I just don't think there's a lot on that Bears defense to frighten us. And I think, as, as you both pointed out, um, some of their better players, I think both the safe safeties, Tashawn Gibson and Eddie Jackson, are both struggling with in- injuries and are both probably down on where they normally um, are. So I think there's a massive opportunity for Swift and Jamal Williams to, to get at them in the backfield. Exactly. I was just about to mention that. You know, you said cornerback is lacking in depth there. Well, safety is. Eddie Jackson is a legitimate, legitimately good safety. You know, I'd have him on my team any day of the week. He, he was, but he's, he's not been yeah. good this season. But he's not got the depth there to help him either. You know, when you're on your own back there and you've not got the skill players with you you used to, this is where Dan Campbell's, you know, get the mismatches in there, target that weaker safety, stay away from Eddie Jackson if you can do, just target the weaker parts of that defense because you can. There are holes there. Just stay away from the danger guys as well. It's Kyle Fuller is a big miss for them. Um, you know, they've really reduced their capability in the secondary with losing him. Yeah, yeah, so they're, they lost, they're sorry. I just about to say they lost some on the defensive line as well. There were a couple of D line guys who went as well who were big for them, but again, cap meant they had to. Yeah, so the replacement cornerback two is a guy called Kindle Vildor. It's been 188 snaps, which I think is every snap so far for the Bears. Four Sounds six. like an East German vampire. It, to me, it sounds very German. Maybe that's Russian, maybe. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Tried to do German, came out Russian, never mind. But his PFF grade, and I mean, I only use a PFF here because 
you know, one, it provides context to your analysis. But I don't have any analysis for this guy because I haven't really watched him play. 47.8. One other weakness which I've just identified from just looking at the PFF grades and seeing where they're ranked. There's three linebackers that have played so far. Roquan Smith, every snap, grade 49.7. Christian Jones, 14 snaps, grade 47.3. The other linebacker is Alec Ogletree, who, you know, used to be good. But he's grading at 34.94 the season, which is shocking. Like, really, really bad. Um, he's probably the worst playing player who's a starter on the team so far. There's, I got Jalen Johnson's uh, PFF very wrong, by the way. 84.5. He's having a barnstorming year. But the secondary is bad. The linebackers are bad. Stay away from Rokon Smith. Stay away from Eddie Jackson. Use Hawk. Try and get a wide receiver involved, any of them. Don't really mind who. Um, and, and you know what? For me, everyone's talking about Swift. Swift is a known commodity now. I think the Bears are going to target him. I'd be looking at Jamal Williams. I want Jamal to get involved. He only had two passing attempts at him last week. And I want to see more action from him in the in the past game. As well I don't as think you, I don't think you need to use it. But if you can implement the run game, so like you say the linebackers are struggling, and the offensive line has got the capability to beat the guys on that D line. They say they're missing their nose tackle. We know what Ragnall can do to them. We know what the guys are capable of there. And we say with the linebackers playing so bad, run it, run it, run it, run it at them. You don't need to risk going up against the high, you know, against the quality of safety and corner that they do have you know this is a game where we've been talking about how we need to run the ball more and rely less on Jared Goff's arm well we've got the perfect opportunity here to run the ball a lot against these guys because that is where they're weak we can run the ball and then just do the passes as and when we need but we don't need to take any risks with it so I just I'd look to get Williams I'd look to get Swift involved Hell, I know I'm biased, but I'd get Jefferson involved as well. I'd load up with running backs for this one and come out with all sorts of schemes to put on them. Oh, think... <laughs> 31, not... 31 personnel. I just, <laughs> yeah, I would. I'd, I'd, I'd find all sorts to do with them, but I'd just really hammer home the running game. Because like I say the linebackers are struggling. The D-line, we can be. So for me, that's where I'm at. I wouldn't need to get inventive with the passing game. Just work to our strengths. We know what our strengths are. Running the ball is a big strength. We Swift looks so good last yeah, week. He does. He does. They both Swift do. Did. They both do. Williams always comes out like a house on fire. You know, he, he gets some good yards early, and then you just keep rotating Swift in there, keep them guessing, but just keep hammering the ball down at them and just really put the pressure on them to make us try and throw it. I mean, but I think to be honest, Williams has looked better as a rusher than Swift has because Williams has been getting those hard yards in the first and second quarters. Swift has actually come in when they're a bit beaten up in the run. He's been having a higher yards per attempt on average, but Williams has been getting those 10-yard rushes early when we really need them. And I kind of feel like he's not being rewarded down the stretch, actually. I, I kind of feel bad for, for our guy, Jamal. I don't oh. know. I, th- I, th- I, think th- I think they've got their place at the minute. I think they understand what the role in the team is, and I think they're embracing it. You know, we're giving Jamal a lot more action than he got in Green Bay. Maybe not in the passing game as much, but we're trusting him to start off games for us. That in itself is a big show of faith 
to have him starting, especially when everyone is clamouring for Swift to start. But I just think, you know, Jamal just brings that little bit of fire in his belly that gets him those extra yards. The fight you see in him, you know, just, just stick with the method that works. It, it's great that we're in a situation where we can just unleash Swift on teams later on in a game when they're getting tired. And it's not like the guy who was in front of him is doing bad. He's doing well. It's just we've not really gone to the run game enough. But this is a perfect opportunity to just run the ball at them and cause them all sorts of issues. Yeah. I just want to say thanks again to everyone who's watching live or listening on the podcast. SAV Lions has jumped on Super Saiyan Lions. The rest of you guys really appreciate it. If you can get those likes up as well for me, that would be awesome. Jimbo. Jimbo G, who's that? Don't know him. Let's give him um, lots of love. So. <laughs> hey, Jimbo. Uh, so, the injury report has dropped for Thursday for the Lions. Still waiting on the Bears. But it's the same as yesterday. No practice for Trey Flowers. Limited in practice as Brockers, Romeo Aquara, DeAndre Swift. Despite hearing that DeAndre Swift is going to potentially start this game and see a bit more action. We've, it's been hinted at already, but he continues to be on that report. And there seems to be, to me, a complete difference between what the coaches are saying about Swift and the fact he keeps ending up on the bloody injury report. I mean, there's conservative, but this is putting the fans through it a little bit, isn't it? I don't think so. I think they've just been precautious about it. I mean, a groin injury is a big thing for a running back. So mm. I think just limit him during the week. I mean, it's the same with Brockers. Brockers is on there all the time, but you want to save him for the games because that's where he, you know, he excels. I think in Swift's case, it doesn't matter if he's limited because we've got another running back who can take the load and be running back one in his absence. So I think it's entirely right just to play easy with him during the week. Because if he's not feeling up to it, it doesn't matter. We, we I'm not saying we won't miss him, but Williams is more than capable of filling in. And you've still got Jefferson sat there waiting to be used as well. So just be easy with him. Use him properly. So we're using him very well. We're getting good usage out of him. Keep going with it. Just to let everyone know who is watching live, we hopefully, if he jumps on, are going to have Jack Wright from Bear Down Report jump on shortly he's uh engaged until 10 past three his time which i believe if i do my maths right is right now so at any point we could have a bears invasion and have a little bit of fun with that um so if someone does invade the pod you know what's going on there now um it's a good week to have a bears invasion (laughs) right so (laughs) um talking about key matchups then for this game um and the thing i highlighted first pretty much like I do every week, and it's like a broken record, but it is the trenches, isn't it? The Chicago Bears failing O-line against the emergent Detroit D-line, and the Chicago Bears' excellent, generally speaking, defensive line against Detroit's excellent O-line, generally speaking. And who can win that battle, especially Detroit's O versus Chicago's D? I think, for me, that's the one area where this game could be won and lost. If we dominate that defensive line, I think that that's a massive path to victory for us. What, what do you guys think? I think it's the other way around, not just to be paid in the neck about it, but I think our defensive line is going to cause all sorts of havoc. Our front seven is going to cause all sorts of havoc there. It's going to stop them from being able to put many points up on the board against us. And then even if their defensive line has a little bit of success against us, I don't think we're going to need the most amount of points in the world to win this one. 
So for me, it's it's all about it's all about that defensive line. We've said how it's a strength. We've seen how it's been a strength this year, and we've not even utilized half the guys on there. You know, Charles Harris is having a really good season. We didn't even factor him into this equation. There's just depth and there's people we can use there. I think we're absolutely going to destroy them in that department. And I think that's going to be one of the game, the game winning aspects for us. It'll be a lot closer the other way around. I think the offense, our offensive line, their defensive line are going to trade punches. And, you know, we might, you know, have a harder fight there, but on the other side of it, we're going to absolutely wipe the floor with them. I'm not missing my words. I I believe fully that we are because it's just not good. The guards are not good. The tackles are not good. The center's not the best in the world. And they say we've, the way they run the ball up the gut, they're not going to get a lot of success against us, in my opinion. So, you know, and we're just going to be able to bring too much pressure on them. That that O-line has been like wet tissue paper for the last 18 months. And, you know, they they had so many spots that they needed to fill and they picked two they drafted two o-line players tevin jenkins and larry boham uh, i think his name is the guard both both on IR. IR. yeah so you know it, they're just patching it together and and they traded away their serviceable pieces on that line so it's it's a double whammy hi john or jack what are you called, sir? Or can can he hear us? Maybe he can't hear us. Sorry, guys. I'm looking on the sound here. No, that's okay. Don't worry. Can hear you loud and clear. Okay, let's let's carry on and, and until Jack John. Oh, they're coming out. Could hear you actually better with the uh, with the headphones in. I think your microphone might have been on the earphones if you change your mic input. I'm not sure whether this is going to be a compliment for you, but uh, someone in the um, in the chats just said that there's a Sean McVay lookalike in our chat. So. <laughs> It it sounds operating as well as the Bears' offensive line does. Oh, <laughs> still it. unfortunately can't hear you, Jack. I probably don't want to hear his response to that. <laughs> Let's have another look at see what's happening in the chat while while we sort that out. Ken Stouder says, "I'm starting to think the way Anthony may be low scoring if their QBs struggle. Oh well, as long as it's a win in Chicago." Altonio says, this is off topic, but let's say Anthony Lynn does end up leaving her. Who are some OC candidates for this year that we can hire? Oh, ask Bleak. We, we can consider that. Goose Staley. Goose Staley. Oh, yeah. That... I, think, I think he would be the... I, I'd like it to be a situation where we hire from within. And I think, you know, because we all widely suspect that when Glenn goes, because he is going to go, that Pleasant's going to be the one who steps up. And I think offensively on that side of the ball, I think Drew Staley, because he's assistant head coach as well. So he holds a position of great, you know, responsibility here. So I think he's going to be more than able to stand up and take on that spot when Anthony Lynn does go. But as I reiterated at the start, he's not going to go until at least the end of this season. But watch what USC do with that coaching position. 
if it's a temp guy, then get worried. If it's a permanent one, then obviously it's not going to happen. So it's just a matter of closely seeing what happens at that, you know, at that school before making a judgment call on it. Because he's the guy's been gone for a few weeks now, so they must be making some progress there. But there's been no official contact between them both, so that's that's telling as well. I wonder as well whether um, if uh, you know, if we do lose Aaron Glenn, all be pre- pleasant is being groomed for that role. Oh God, yeah, yeah, without a doubt, I think that's he's going to be the next guy up there. I don't think that's a coincidence either as to why he's been bought in. I think an upcoming guy. I think that's what the that's what they want the situation to be here is is we can always hire internally, you know, promote a guy who knows the system who's not going to come in and create a whole new system here. Do Staler be able to work under Aaron Glenn, see how he works, and be able to implement something similar? So it wouldn't surprise me if 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 it, if, if he waits till the end of the season, I think it'd be Staley. If he goes right now, then you know we might have to look outside. But I I be very certain at this point that it will be an interior an, an interior appointment as opposed to an outside one. Still can't hear you, unfortunately. I'm sorry. I can lip read a bit, though. Given in one second, it will hopefully have Jack back in a second. Yeah, we could hear you when you joined on the earphones. I think, though, Steve, perhaps he couldn't hear us with those, so I, I don't know what's going on with that. Thanks to Jimbo G, keeping up the great work, fellas. Great show. Thank you, man. Really appreciate that. Um, okay, another look at perhaps some key matchups in this game, bring it back on topic. The underwhelming Chicago wide receiver room right now, and I say underwhelming with a pinch of salt because they've not been really given a, a chance to succeed so far against a banged-up Detroit secondary, several cornerbacks, who were expected to contribute, you know, greatly to this team are not in there. Lots of UDFAs playing. A safety who many people don't want in this team anymore. Another safety who is playing, you know, well sometimes and not so well at other times. Who's going to win that battle? I mean, is the Chicago quarterback going to have enough time to throw? I have to think that at least sometimes, considering it's Chicago versus Detroit, that they're going to have some opportunities to throw to their wide receivers. So who's going to win that battle when it comes up to, say, Bobby Price versus Alan Robinson, which scares me a little bit, I'm not going to lie. Well, it's the depth at wide receiver. You know, you've got the one guy we can afford to double up on him. The one thing I don't want to see is this soft coverage that we've been used to all the years, allowing the easy completions. I want them to go in there and battle with him you know, to see if they can come out. Because the one thing we've been doing good this year is we've been good in coverage. Like I say, Bobby Price was one for seven at the other weekend gone. Tracy Walker, his coverage has got a lot better. I know we highlight the mistakes, but, you know, it's there on paper. His, His coverage is getting better. So I would back us to go against one of their guys. I just like would like us to be a little bit more aggressive it just seems we give so much soft coverage out and it was a problem under Patricia as well we just allowed the completions and didn't put them under much pressure so let's just go for it I think the only thing that would tip it for me is if as I say if they elevate Newsom, then I'm going to get really worried because you know as I say I think Newsom's one of the biggest weapons on that team and they've just not even tried him yet so I kind of wonder whether um, Darnell Mooney will have a breakout game at some point as well because I feel he's not really 
Um, I think he's dealing with injuries as well, and he's not played up to his potential. It, it all comes back to the quarterback. If we can get the pressure on him, if we can, you know, bend that offensive line like the Browns did, then I think you take a lot of that out the equation. You know, he's not going to have the time to throw the good passes to his wide receivers. I think that's our best chance of defending ourselves. It's just like we did against the Ravens. Just go after the quarterback and stop him from being able to play his game. Because Fields is a good quarterback and he will be a great NFL quarterback for a long time, but he's under a lot of pressure now. And, you know, it's up to us to continue that pressure for as long as possible. And we've got the guys to do it. Jack, can we hear you now? Oh, no. No, still can't hear you. No. Ah! We'll sort that out. I mean, we're giving Fields praise, so that can't be the worst thing to hear right now. Um, but Fields, uh, we, we haven't we haven't actually mentioned Jared Goff yet on the podcast. Who? <laughs> you know, we, we've not. I don't think we mentioned his name today. How how weird is that? We've gone through an hour and twenty minutes, and we've not mentioned the name of our QB yet. Let's put that right. Well, I think you know it's a case of we don't need to put this game on him you know it's if Jared Goff if we do all the right things in this game offensively he's just going to need to do his bit I don't think he's a pivotal part of this game I don't think he's one of the the guys who's going to lead us to victory I think that's down to the running backs and it's down to the guys in the trenches but you know I, I, I don't think we really need to mention him that much to be fair but yeah just to say in terms of the wide receivers again let's just let's just be aggressive Let's trust our guys to go in and do it because, if anything, Parker's shown it, Jacobs has shown it, Bryce has showed it, Walker's showed it. They can go up and be aggressive in tight coverage. Let's just not give them any easy outs in this one. I'd rather fight and go down like that than give up the soft coverage and get them out of a position where, you know, we've put a load of pressure on them and we let them just off the hook. How about now, Jack? No. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that's fine. We'll give you we'll give you time. We could talk for days about this game because quite frankly, it's a game we can win. So <laughs> let's do it. I mean, you know, this this generally if you think about the last three games, we've we've effectively played three Super Bowl candidates. You know, I think the the Niners have got the potential, although you know, they, I think that they showed all of their fallibilities in losing to Green Bay. The Packers are going to be, the Packers are going to win the division and are going to get at least past the wild card round of the, the playoffs. Um, you know, and, and the Ravens, if, if they can get their players back from injury, I can see the, the, the Ravens being in, in the playoffs, maybe not winning that division um, because I don't know. I, I'm, I'm trying to think who. Could the Bengals win that division? No. No way. The Bengals are getting better and their defence is getting good. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, the Bengals could do well, but there's no way they're winning that division. You have to be mad. Yeah. But the Bengals could finish in the playoffs. Anyway, I think we've played three really good teams. You think you seriously just said in the division that has the Ravens, the Browns, and the Steelers that the Bengals could win that division? I, I think the, the Browns will win it. I think the Browns will win it. But I think the Bengals could finish 
the Bengals could finish, I don't know, nine and eight and creep into the playoffs. Not in the AFC. Nine and eight is not going to be enough in the AFC. It could be enough in the NFC. I'll give you that. If any team in this division finishes nine and eight, I think they'll be in. But I think well, you might you might have to go eleven and five to get. Uh, sorry, eleven and six to get in in the AFC. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think the Steelers just yeah, they, the Steelers look done already. But the, Ste- the Steelers are one of the worst teams in the NFL, but they have one of the best coaching staffs in the NFL, and that counts for a lot. Dare I ask? Oh, man. Um, what might we do with this? Right. Um, I was going to suggest closing the meeting and then opening a new one, but I don't think that's going to work. Um, yeah, no, we it's could, okay. We could, we could hear, Jack, when, when you came on, we could hear you for the first 10 seconds. And then you disappeared into the ether. Like Mitch Trubisky. Oh, throw shade at him and he can't reply. It's not fair. <laughs> this is great. It's my ideal scenario. <laughs> to throw shade at someone who can't reply. Um, yeah, I, I, so on my computer, I can't tell if you're on a laptop or something. I, I, I think that you are, but I've got, I've, yeah, I've got mute in my bottom left-hand corner and there's a little kind of arrow by that. And then when I, when I click that, I've got a selection of microphones and speakers, and I, I'm hoping that just selecting one of those microphones and speaking continuously and will hear you eventually. But maybe not. <laughs> yeah, it's just select a speaker and select a microphone on mine as well, yeah. But yeah, um, my, my biggest fear is that for one week, Dalton realizes he's Mitch Trubisky in disguise when it comes to playing the Lions. That's like, that's going to keep me up at night until Sunday, I think. Just Dalton, not very exciting, but good enough quarterback to just put a hurting on us. The Bears always seem, this, this is my biggest fear. The Bears always seem to raise their game for the Lions, no matter how well or badly they're playing that season it seems to be someone that they're just like, no, we must beat this team or we're disgraceful. And it, it shows, and it has shown. I think it'll be one of the, the wins I'm most happy about since I became a fan, if we can get this one. Yeah, I mean, let's, let's not forget, we, we pretty much beat the Bears twice last season. If Swift had had to drop that TD, we'd have beaten the Bears twice. Um, and the Bears were probably better last year than they are this year. Oh, he's gone. This is not fun anymore. <laughs> uh, Ant's back, though. Yeah, sorry. They're doing internet upgrades in my area, and it's just affecting it every now and then, but I'm back. We can tell with your audio slightly, actually, as well. A bit crappy. Is that better? That's better. I'm just amazed you've got the internet in Chesterfield. Uh, not in Chesterfield. Just outside, so don't give me that. He's on a phone now, so I think this is going to work. How about now? Hey! hey. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, so, John. I apologize. No, no, no not at all. I apologize. I usually I do our podcast from home, right? And everything, of course, is set up perfectly there. But um, I wanted to join you, but I did it straight from work. So I, I sincerely apologize. I know that. 
totally throws a wrench in this, like the complete flow of your show. So I, I'm really sorry. And it's not a problem. I mean, we got loads of people watching live and they're just kind of <laughs> laughing along with us while you're struggling there. And I'm sorry well, for that. Like, no, I think my audio was similar to the Bears offense last week. I mean, just a complete travesty, right? Like, uh, <laughs> wow. Like, I think I read someplace uh, that they said that the, the Bears took a semi-historic dump uh, their offense last week. And I thought that's uh, an appropriate description. Um, so I'm really glad to join you. Thank you for inviting me. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you for coming on. We, we really appreciate the time. Um, so let's just jump straight into talking about the offense. How do you get it right? What, what let, let's, we could beat around the bush talking about, you know, the, the offensive line, not exactly the best, the wide receivers aren't being given a chance, blah, 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 blah. There's lots you could talk about, but you need to get it right in this game. It's a Lions team with a beat-up secondary. The defensive line's unproven. The linebackers we've just released are most expensive player there, you know, potentially week two. How how can you win this game on the offense side of the ball? Well, I think, as you mentioned, it's multifaceted. I mean, we were concerned about the offensive line going into the game, and it certainly didn't help that our you know drafted left tackle uh comes out of the gate with an injury so we have to pull a guy off a fishing boat <laughs> to play tackle instead uh it was really disconcerting that the the middle of the line didn't play very well uh Mustafer especially but again cleveland's defense is very very good and i don't oh, know yeah. as if we're going to face many many d lines like that so here's the deal i think the bears play pretty well against bad teams. And I, I apologize if that comes off as a straight insult, but I mean, we saw the Cincinnati bungles and we saw how they played against them. And so I, I do think that two things, one, the bears are pretty good off a loss. Uh, Matt Nagy has a tendency to be pretty good uh, after a devastating loss. Um, I think they will clearly make some distinct changes in the way that they pass pro uh, hopefully keeping in some running backs and chipping a little bit, perhaps running some tight end sets uh, as a means to try to uh, give, if it's Justin Fields, some more protection. You mean that Jimmy Graham's actually going to have snaps in this game? Uh, <laughs> I mean, like that, that's a, that leaves a bad taste in all Bears fans' mouths. I mean, when we see Fuller uh, playing corner for another team while Jimmy Graham sits on our roster, uh, you know, it's a whole nother show to talk about Ryan Pace and his choices, but that one stinks because um, I'm not sure why we needed to keep four tight ends. Uh, I know that Jimmy Graham caught a lot of touchdown passes and was crucial in the red zone, but I don't know as if that was necessarily worth our while. Sometimes I'll say, I don't think the, ju uh, the juice was worth the squeeze. <laughs> and I'm not sure the juice was worth the squeeze when it comes to that. So Listen, it's, it's all a lot of uh, conjecture, and honestly, there's not a lot of hope. I do think going into the season, we felt like we had the offensive assets to, to be dynamic. I mean, I think Monty is a very good explosive running back, probably the best we've had since Walter Payton. Um, we got, I mean, yeah, for honestly, we have speed on the perimeter. Now, we don't throw the ball deep, and we don't really challenge the seams. But we do have, you know, some speed at our wide receiver positions. I think Cole Komet has a huge ceiling. Uh, I mean, could be very, very good. And, I mean, uh, we still think Justin Fields was was a steal, you know. So, mm. 
I mean, potential is, you know, that if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a really good Christmas. But I do think there's a high ceiling for this group. Yeah, I don't think you'll hear any argument from us. But so very quickly, which quarterback, assuming all the fit, would you start on Sunday if it was you who is the head coach? Well, I've been a proponent um, of of saving uh, fields or JF1, as we call them, from the very start, only because I don't think the offensive line is there to protect him. And I'm not sure he has enough experience to make uh, line calls, um, pass pro calls to protect himself. Um, Combine that with Matt Nagy's inability to to develop young quarterbacks. And even though I don't really want to see it, the answer is Andy Dalton. You know, I think really... Um, you know, committing to Andy Dalton wasn't really about, uh, you know, some sort of a promise that was made. It was more about protecting Justin Fields. And in my opinion, that, that was the right choice um, is to protect Justin Fields. So if Dalton's healthy, go with Dalton. I don't think anybody wants to see Foles. I went to training camp. Foles looks like he's in the wrong position. The guy is like 6'6", 250 pounds. He looks like a tight end, right? I mean, I know he had success at Philly, but I just don't think it will work here. So, um so, I mean, if Dalton's healthy, I guess I would, I mean, it really is like, it's, it's not a great choice, but I think Dalton's probably our best chance to have success at this point. I don't know if, if you heard while you were trying to connect with us, but for me, one of the things with this offense here, one of the biggest questions I have is why is he not using Daz Newsom? Because out of the draft, I, I loved him coming out of there. I thought he was one of the steals of the draft and you guys got him so late there and there's not a lot of depth at wide receiver. How, why was he released and why is he getting stashed on the practice squad? Is he not showing it? Because to me, he has all the attributes to be a great player. He's so quick. His feet is good. He's a danger at all three levels of the field. I think he'd, he'd be straight in that team for me. It's a great question. I mean, and uh, we were very surprised when the decisions came down on roster cuts that he was not on the final roster, but rather on the practice squad. My sense, what I thought was that he would be the return guy at the very least, that he would be a dynamic punt returner for us. And instead, we've had to outsource that. And, and you know, we had a fumbled punt last week and, and our, our return game has been mediocre at best. So your question is a great one. My understanding is that he just didn't flash like they thought he would flash in camp, um, whether it was route running or separation or route knowledge um, or drops. Uh, that those things didn't come to fruition for him ultimately, because otherwise I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, I think like you mentioned, I thought it was a steal in the draft. His tape looked great from college, uh, thought he would be a contributor, uh, clearly has a bunch of speed, made a great, uh, had a great play in the last preseason game where he, he, he caught hard to his right uh, and then, and then slashed back into the inside of the, the field I had like a 10, 12 yard gain. So, I mean, your question is a great one. I mean, perhaps it just needs, he just needs to develop would be my, my best guess. Just what we're talking about, um, roster decisions and uh, Ryan Pace. Um, I, I don't know if you know, who was the Washington football team's highest graded offensive player at the weekend? <laughs> oh, you're I so can only mean. guess. It was Charles uh, Leno with a, a PFF grade of 75.0. And the question is, you know, why did they get Jason Peters off the, the fishing boat if, you know, Leno can still still do it? And, I mean, I, I guess the question for, for me on a serious note is, if you were the McCaskey family, 
and you've you know you've seen you've given the green light for these guys to invest the draft capital you've mortgaged the farm for the next couple of years in terms of the draft mm. and you've got this prize asset in Justin Fields and then you've watched him be sacked nine times 15 QB hits I mean, they mm. must be absolutely sick to their stomach watching that. How has Nagy still got a job? Well, I mean, <laughs> how much time do you got, Steve? I mean, the, the thing is, is there's a lot of organizations, I think, in the NFL that have a structure similar to the Chicago Bears. The only difference is that those other teams are good at it and the McCaskies aren't. And then and that's just, that's undeniable. I mean, when you look at our, our, our playoff performances, when you look at the droughts that are between um, Super Bowls, when you look at the handling of coaches and GMs, sometimes we liken it to our baseball teams. I don't know if you're baseball fans at all, but there was long periods of time where both the Sox and the Cubs would kind of just, they would get big names, people, like kind of people that would bring folks to the park, but they never really like put together a solid organization. In the modern era, it seems like you should be either rebuilding or you should be vying for a championship. And we have been stuck in this purgatory, this, this mediocrity for quite a long time. Um, and I do think that's because of the McCaskies. They're probably real good people. I understand the tradition. Uh, Papa Bear Hallis is a big part of what we believe in. But I think when it comes right down to it, um, Ted Phillips, uh, the McCaskies, uh, they have proven that they have an inability to run this franchise um, in a way that would come to fruition and success in Super Bowls. Um, we're too nice sometimes. I don't know if you've heard of like being Midwest nice, but I think we need a, a Patriots Belichick craft kind of, you know, attitude Be where, you know, it's like what you wish for, <laughs> I, you know, I know, but well, like a dark there, overlord, <laughs> rather yeah, than the GM. But, but he wins, you know, I mean, and we just have this loyalty sometimes that I think proves to be, um, completely unproductive I, I don't I don't know how he still has a job it's a great question and I don't know why we let Leno go a lot of people in town were really down on Leno I would watch a lot of film and a lot of the all 22 shot you know the coaches shot and he wasn't nearly as bad as folks thought he was and it's hard to find um, you know tackles in this league uh, there's a, a dearth of tackles and so I mean I think I probably would have been in a camp of one but I thought keeping him might have been a good idea I mean, the thing is, so the, the Lions fans are not much better at uh, analysing how good tackle play is, really. So, you know, we've got Saul, who is a young guy. He's had a couple of good games, one not-so-great game. And suddenly, we're all ready to trade Taylor Decker, if you listen to at least 50% of our fan base. Now, mm -hmm. he was a top seven left tackle last year maybe if you say that's an up year but his average is somewhere a bit lower than that he's a top 10 to 15 left tackle leno was probably about that as well maybe a kind of 12 to 18 left tackle so you know average left tackle but average left tackle really really valuable like i don't know whether you know you might subscribe to the pff school of thought of you want to get back to average on the line and spend everywhere else. But the whole point of that is average on the line is going to get you there and give your quarterback enough chances to do something. So mm. for me, Leno was enough. And with Leno, you could move Jenkins to right tackle, which is where he actually plays and probably where he's going to project best in the pros. It seems like that line is now set. So 
I know that it was a cap saving measure. That was the idea behind it. And of course, you know, with Fullagon 2, you can see that that needed to happen. I think, was it quite a while that you had to wait to sign your draft picks, for example, because of everything that was going on with with the cap and, and what have you? Was there someone else that, that was perhaps an option that you could have cut in a perhaps less important position? Or was, was it an inevitable move? I think it was inevitable when it came to Leno in terms of the money that he would demand. And I think you're right. He was serviceable, but serviceable demands money at that position in the mm-hmm. NFL. So I don't know as if it could have been avoided in that you know particular regard. Um, I don't think we quite knew where our linebackers were at that time, or maybe um, Danny Trevathan would be like a possible chip um, to either trade or make some cap room. Um you know, I think he's starting to get to the point. He's a great run defender, not a very good, uh, you know, pass defender. Uh, and he's been on the IR so far. So that's the only one that I can think of off the top of my my head. Um, but, I mean, the people that are eating up our cap are, are, are Mac and Foles and uh, Quinn and Eddie Jackson. And they're just not performing like top paid players in the NFL. I mean – would you have preferred to let Alan Robinson go and keep Leno? Maybe give Fields a bit more of a chance to actually throw the ball? Uh, I think if you, at the, like, think about it at the end of last year. If you let A-Rob go, who do you have as wide receivers? I mean, you're sitting there with Anthony Miller. Uh, you know, Mooney is, uh, is, is good but unproven. Um, <laughs> Wims, I mean, those guys aren't even on the team anymore. So I, I think really when it comes down to it, it's not a, a, a bad suggestion. I understand fully where, what you're thinking, but um, without a Rob there there's, I don't, I mean, the wide receiver core is still unproven Yeah. But without a Rob. I, I think we're really in trouble. I'm not sure if he would have, a, even if Leno would have, provi- Leno would have provided the time. I'm not sure there would have been anybody to throw to. <laughs> and I mean, and a Rob's a solid receiver, right? I mean, but, oh, yeah. but he's not D hop. I mean, he's not. He's not D Hop, but he is in that yeah. top five to ten conversation. I mean, yes. I, I remember seeing several rankings ranking him at number five on the in yeah. this offseason. So he definitely has it. We've talked enough about the offense. So okay. how about this defense? Then we've. Um, I was talking about the fact that Danny Trevathan is available to return for this game, and he has returned to practice. Is there any chance he actually is activated? Do you think? Because I, I don't. I don't go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just about to say that's that would be a big move if you could bring him back. It would be. I, I don't know as if he'll be ready uh, this week to play. Um, I haven't seen the. I know he came off the IR, but I haven't seen the injury reports or any of the updates uh, at least today. Um, I think that'll be uh, big when he does come back because I believe that in terms of run stop, we're already pretty darn good. Uh, and adding him will just make us that much better. Um, I mean, I know our front seven, you know, against the Rams didn't look very good, but it has looked very good ever since, Um, you know. So, I mean, to answer the question directly, if if he is able to play and if he returns, I think he will make a difference. Apparently he did a bunch of, like, boxing and completely, like, overhauled his training in the offseason. He's slimmer and trimmer, and I thought when he did play, the little bit that he did play in the preseason, I thought he looked pretty darn good, like a guy that was committed to his craft and wasn't ready to retire, and I, I appreciate that. Um, but, you know, we haven't seen that because he's been dealing with injury. And what about the chance of Eddie Goldman returning, limited yesterday? 
Great question. I mean, uh, uh, think about that. I mean, our D line is already, I think, really, really potent. Um, if you add him, I mean, we got Edwards back. He was, uh, he was suspended the first two games, came in last week, made a sack. We know how good Akeem Hicks is. We know that, um, you know, they, I think that they can rotate. Bilal Nichols can make an impact. Quinn has suddenly started playing um, well. Uh, you know, even Mac had an improved game. We'll have to see what his foot looks like. But uh, Eddie Goldman's been a mystery. You know, he sat out last year because of COVID. And, you know, I think everybody just kind of tried to respect people's decisions when it came to that. And I don't think there was, you know, any ill will or anything. But he just seemingly can't get healthy enough to play. Um, but, boy, he if you think about Hicks, you think about Goldman in the center of that line, that is formidable. Very, very good. I was going to ask him, Jack, obviously one of the big frustrations with the Bears last season was Chuck Pagano and maybe being a bit too conservative. Then you brought Sean Desai in. I think he was your quality control defensive coach, and he's been promoted to D.C. What, what have you seen from Desai so far? And do you think with the, the improved performance of people like Jalen Johnson, is that positive signs coming, coming out of the, the kind of coaching staff on defense? I think so. I mean, I think the debut was very worrisome. I mean, uh, the performance against the Rams was, was rough. You know, Rams might be a Super Bowl contender. Um, but I think the way that they played against Cincinnati and Cleveland shows that they responded and uh, that they could be back to greatness. We've had a championship defense for a good, what, three to five years, uh, just with no offense to pair with it. Uh, Jalen Johnson is an excellent corner. Uh, he stays healthy, and I think he's going to end up being amongst the, the best of the corners uh, in the league. Um, so, you know, I, I, it feels like he has an impact. Let me give you a specific because it's a great question. Last week, uh, or uh, forgive me, uh, against Cincinnati, there was an instance where Roquan Smith um, rushed off the edge. I don't think I've seen Roquan Smith rush off the edge ever. And he had a sack. Um, and he an had interception. A great yeah, and an interception. I like that a lot. You know, if you compare that to like Chuck Pagano and what seemed to be organized chaos, um, I thought, that's pretty cool to decide credit, uh, to be able to line your, I mean, I don't know what you guys think about Roquan Smith, but we're very high on him. He's incredible. Yeah. We like him too. Uh, yeah. And I and if, if you that. need to save any cap space, please send him away. <laughs> I hope not, man. He just got shafted last year with the pro bowl. I mean, he is so good, but anyway, I think my point here is, is that it was really creative. I thought it was an innovative way to use him and it worked, you know? And so, uh, I feel like the emphasis on turnovers, even though we didn't have any turnovers last week, uh, has been a positive. His energy has been a positive. Um, I know the players love him, decide that it is. Um, so I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that, that I mean, huh, the defense has to be good <laughs> for us to win. That's the bottom line. I mean, really, you won that so, game against the Bengals because the, you, know, you, you forced three interceptions. That, that was the yep. kind of t turning point. Absolutely. So you mentioned, obviously, your defensive line, how you're high on it, you know, how you think there's a lot of elite guys in there. How do you see 
this trench battle going this week. So obviously there's going to be a lot in, you know, it's going to decide the game probably. Cause I mean, from our point of view, we've got a brand new defensive line here. We've got a good run stuff in nose tackling out the draft, a really good disruptive guy on the edge. Charles Harris is playing well. Michael Brockers is in. We're a completely different animal on this defensive line from last year and your O-line's vulnerable. So we see that as a big, you know, advantage for us here, but, how do you see it from your point of view in the trenches? Do you think the O-line can deal with us? Do you think the D-line's going to get the better of our offensive line? Because Ragnar dealt very easy with Hicks last year. We've got some good guys there. How do you see it going from your point of view? So obviously we're all biased here. Well, sure. I mean, and, and you got, I mean, and DeAndre Swift had a, a fantastic game last week. Is that correct? I mean, he was yeah. explosive, fast, what you had hoped he would be. Um but here's the thing. Uh, I think we have a tendency to shut down backs um, rather successfully. Um, you know, and I think for the most part, that's been proven this year. Um, I think our, it, it seems to me like if everything else is falling apart, oftentimes our run defense is the defense that will, will, will come to, into play. Uh, you look at the Rams game, we stopped the run really for three quarters. It wasn't until the fourth quarter, uh, you know, that Henderson started to um, – to, to gash us a little bit. I don't think Mixon did much against us, uh, really. Um, you know, uh, and so I Mixon mean, Mixon got, Mixon got sent, uh, 69 yards at 3.5 per carry, and that's probably the most that he's been limited this season. Yeah. You know, so um, I'll, I'll admit I'm not as familiar with your, with your offensive line specifically in the way that they've performed, but um you know, if there is a confidence in the team overall, I would say one of the greatest confidences is in our ability to stop the run. Last week, what did uh, what did what did Cleveland get on the ground? I don't think uh, they. I so, don't think they... if you take out Baker Mayfield, they went for one eighty four of thirty eight. So that is five, five. per carry. Okay. I mean, that's, that's Chubb and Hunt. I mean, they're going to rack up numbers yeah, on any defense. That's, that's not yeah. comparable, is it really? The, the thing that I've looked through, actually, just now, your games, is you seem to shut down tight ends quite well. Higby had an okay day for the Rams, but that, mm. that offense is humming right now. You seem to shut them down pretty well, and our offense flows through Swift and Hopkinson. So is there anything particularly you think you do well against tight ends that matches up well? Is, is that something that Roquan is, is especially tasked with, for example? That's a great question. I, I think that when it comes to, you know, covering across the zones, we're not the best at that. And we've proven that it seems as though teams are trying to match their slot receivers or their tight ends up with our running backs, because I do think that's one of the areas that we haven't been overly successful. Um, so what we do do well is one of the most important things that you have to do with a tight end uh, in a passing situation is, is jam on the line. You have to do as much as you humanly can to make sure that that guy does not get a free release. And once you've jammed him at the line and hopefully you've roughed him up pretty good so that he can't get a release, you have to try to within that five yard zone with your linebackers, you have to continue to try to chip them if, if at all possible, right? I mean, we've seen clips of it. We know what it looks like. Uh, when a, a tight end um, is abused physically uh, to the point where it makes it almost impossible within, within, you know, legal, you know, uh, you know, specifications, like not committing penalties. If you are able to really be physical with tight ends, that makes it extraordinarily difficult for them to 
find open areas and to settle into open zones on the field. So to me, if there is any way in which we have proven ourselves to be successful, it is in disrupting tight end routes. Um, but you bring up a great question because I think you've got one of the one of the best. And um, our secondary has been uh, outside of Jalen Johnson, a bit suspect. Uh, again, better uh, in uh, weeks two and three, uh, much better. But, uh, you know, we don't have a lot of faith in Eddie Jackson, to put it bluntly. Can I ask why? Just this seems like an odd thing to say from my point, considering our own struggles in that area. So with Eddie Jackson, uh, my personal assessment is that it has nothing to do with his capabilities. I think out of Alabama, he's proven himself to be a highly capable safety. Something went on. I don't know if he got the paycheck and that changed his attitude or what, but I don't, did you happen to see the clip of him in practice coaching up the other defensive backs? Okay. Mm -hmm. We'll see. This was like, <laughs> this was one of those things that went viral in our bears world. So he's coaching up some of the other safeties and he's caught on Mike saying, Hey, anybody in the NFL can tackle any, anybody can tackle. You need to go for the ball. You need to get knockdowns and interceptions. Well, I don't know if you've watched him in any recent games, but he is a terrible tackler. Uh, it, it's almost as if, so I, you know, I played a little bit of football in, in high school, junior high, high school and college. And there was always like seemingly one kid who the first day of hitting drills would be, I mean, and, and, and I think, you know, as I've gotten older, I understand why just straight scared, you know, I mean, it's not a natural thing to, to throw your body violently into somebody else at a high speed. And so you would get a kid, you know, a lot of times who would like stop his feet and like turn his head and like turn his shoulder and kind of shrink away from the hitting. And I'm telling you, it is like crazy. That's the type of thing Eddie Jackson's been doing. The other thing you can do in football sometimes is you can um, kind of hide. You can, uh, you know, like you can break on a ball and get there. Oh, oh, shoot. I'm, I'm there just a little bit too late. And, and he has just been hiding and not been aggressive and not been physical and a terrible tackler. And, and so he has played better because I think he heard the criticisms coming off his first week and off of that mic'd up moment somebody must have gotten to him and talked to him because he's played significantly better. Um, but not again, I think for the team to be successful, your highest played paid players need to perform at the highest level. And oh, we that, know that, that, that with Jamie Collins that, you know, sometimes that doesn't happen. I'm surprised um, by that. I'll tell you, I watched him specifically last year in the matchups against, um, you know, the bears and the lions and he was like a one-man wrecking crew against the Bears. What, what, what's happened? I, I think he just, I, I think it's followed him throughout his career. He responds to the authoritarian regime far better than anywhere else. And you leave the Patriots, you go to the Browns, effort eventually falls. Uh, you know, enthusiastic start falls away quickly. And here, mm -hmm. under the previous regime, you know, he it found him familiar and he could put in that effort. But you know, there's a quality player in there. There is. We have seen it. But this year, 
and at the back end of last year, after after Quintricia were were sacked, he he just hasn't really shown it. I don't think. Unless, what what do you think, boys? Is there something about Jamie that? Yeah. He was dragging down the performance of other players. The slow speed, you know, the ability to react was slow. And we saw it with Anzalone in just one game. You know, we all, we all criticised him so badly two weeks ago. But when you sit and watch the tape, it's because he's covering for his linebacker partner. And in oh, really? one week, yeah, in one week since he's been gone, now that we're putting Reeves Mabin and Barnes in, who are slightly quicker guys who can cover the ground a bit more, Anzalone is now focusing on his own job and has been noticeably better. And I think now looking back at it, some of our other linebackers, Jelani Tavaj, Christian Davis, etc., may have suffered the same problem in that, you know, their senior counterpart, and we've had far too many of them, have just not been pulling their weight. We had Trufant last year, who I believe is with you guys now, who's absolutely useless. You know, Coleman didn't oh, pull his let's weight. Let's be fair to him. He was injured for basically the entire season. But that's the thing. We, we, we've just had our... We've just had teams littered with senior guys who are not providing senior experience there. They're not they're not leading by example. And Collins was one of them. We've got young guys in there now who care and just don't look noticeably better. So I think it's best for all parties he's gone. We're better without him, even though it doesn't really make much sense because he's only one of the experienced guys we got. But we are better without him. I think the way that Aaron Glenn schemes the defense as well, we kind of play with the front five a lot. And that just means that a linebacker like Collins, it, we we don't want a big lumbering linebacker that can't you know cover the field. He he needs to be quick on his feet, and he's not that guy. And also, he's not cerebral enough to make up for his lack of athleticism. And the thing is, we say lack of athleticism, but he's always been heralded as a fairly athletic linebacker. The problem is, is right. that he wasn't reacting quick enough to put the athleticism to work. So. You know, sometimes in periods of season, he looked like Jelani Tavai. I don't think that's particularly unfair. He was kind of helping guys along with a little push into the end zone. <laughs> like, it wasn't <laughs> really that good. Um, there's been a couple of questions in the chat, just kind of before sure. we talk about specifically um, this game and what we think is going to happen. But where do you see the Bears season going from here? I know it's early doors. We're only about a quarter of the year in. But project for me the most likely path for the Bears. Yeah, and just just on that as well, if you look at the schedule, your next five games before the bye week are at the Raiders, Packers at home, at the Bucks, 49ers at home, and at the Steelers. I mean, that's a horror show of a schedule. Yes, it is. <laughs> I think it's a murderer's row. And I want to say the Bears uh, coming into the season had the... Uh, highest ranked difficulty of schedule if not the highest amongst the top five of all of the teams in the nfl so that doesn't bode well for us uh obviously um i think i had us uh i want to say it's seven or eight wins uh i think i was looking at um cincinnati as being a win uh you know with all due respect uh two wins in detroit uh, a and it's looking even better now. Uh, a win in Pittsburgh, um, you know, very possibly. Uh, I think splitting with the Vikings, but I don't know if the Vikings know who they are yet. If they play like they played last week, that might be tough to do to split too. Um, 
so you know <laughs> you got the giants giants as well at the end it's yeah i've got yep yep had that as a win as well um you know but uh i think they're going to be few and far between ultimately and i think that um i guess what i saw was you know mediocrity ultimately um you know either just missing the playoffs or maybe making the playoffs at least that was what i projected at the beginning of the year um kind of similar to last year then yeah just i mean the... go ahead no sorry go on Carol. well I, I don't you know like you all i'm sure you did your preseason predictions but you know a lot of that is conjecture i'm not so sure i would go back and i mean i, I don't know I, I think those were reasonable picks i mean generally speaking we beat the Bengals. generally speaking we have a tendency to have a good record against Detroit. We, we, you know, the, the, the giants just aren't very good and haven't been very good. Um, I, I saw the needle going down on Pittsburgh. I don't predict much right, but I did see the needle going down on them. I heard you talking about Tomlin. He's one of the greatest coaches. It probably won't take long for them to turn that around, but as long as Raleigh burgers there, I'm not sure they're going to be very good. Uh, you know, going forward, they can't run the ball. Um, the Vikings is it's always a winnable game. You guys know this because who the heck is Kirk Cousins, right? Like, are you? I mean, how happy are you that Cousins isn't your quarterback? I mean, that guy. Cousins is on like MVP form at the moment. He's absolutely on fire. But I know. Yeah, it won't last yes. long, but still. And they're paying him I forty million. What's it, what did you say? I'm sorry. And they're paying him about forty million. So are, you know. that guy. He's oh. a whack job, though. He's a total whack job. Here's how I look at him. He's a guy that can both win you the game and you lose you the game in, in, in a second. He can look great, right? He can look like a Pro Bowl quarterback, uh, as he has been looking. But he's so volatile, right? He, he's so skittish. I mean, I don't know about James you, but I like, Winston's 30-30 season. Right. I like my quarterback cerebral. I like him to be calm. I like him to, to, to be confident, you know, uh, I want, I mean, obviously like a Tom Brady mold, a Peyton Manning mold. I know that's pie in the sky, but, but boy, I, 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 I'm very glad that Kirk Cousins. So anyway, my point is, is that I think those games are always winnable because you don't know which version of Kirk Cousins you're going to get. It's Jay Cutler um, so, in disguise. So it, you're right. You're absolutely right. Obviously a big question on the minds of a lot of Bear fans, obviously how close is Nagy to the trap door? Do you think that if we were to put a win down on you this weekend and a big one, could it be as soon as, as this week? Or do you think he's still got a long time left there yet, despite his unpopularity amongst the fans? It's a great question. The Bears have never fired a coach in season. So wow. there's, yeah, so there's that. Um, <laughs> it's always the first time. But a, a defeat to a, a rebuilding us, I mean, pushing your one and three, is could that be enough of a, you know, because I think the fans are really on him already. Oh, this wow. feels This feels like a, a game where if we put a statement win up somehow, that mm -hmm. it, it's untenable, surely. It is. And, I mean, you saw, I mean, usually the Bears, you know, fan base in a loss like that will be critical. I mean, I couldn't believe the wave of national criticism that went against, you know, uh, Matt Nagy and the Bears this past week. That was that was quite a thing. And, you know, you got former, you know, Pro Bowl athletes and Hall of Fame coaches, you know, shredding Matt Nagy. And I think rightfully so. You know, the other feature of this is sometimes the, the sway of Virginia McCaskey. 
She has a lot of clout in the town. And I would say the only way that we would see a change is if, if she somehow became embarrassed by our performance uh, or, you know, our, our, our franchise quarterback future JF1 is, is either unprotected again or hurt or something to that effect. You guys post a 50 burger on us, you know, um, you know, We're not asking if, that much. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I, I guess my point is it, it, it would take a lot, um, you know, to talking to the fan base when it comes to Matt and Aggie and what it is that they want is a completely different conversation than talking about the ownership of the bears and the way in which they view, um, you know, their GM and their coach. As much fun as it is talking about the worst case scenario for the Bears, and believe me, we could do this for a while longer. Um, what do you think happens on Sunday? Okay, so I've got, uh, I started to do my write-up. Um, and and when I started it, I was like, oh, crap, is this going to be a Detroit win? <laughs> but I started digging a little further. Uh, and I started, so for instance, I think you're averaging um, 353 yards per game, which I believe is 18th in the NFL. Um, the bears are averaging 191 yards per game. That's 32nd. The lions give up 384 yards per game. That's 22nd in the league. The bears are giving up, uh, just over 350, which is 12th in the league. Okay. So originally I was thinking this is going to be a game of whose offense is worse because that's what the Bengals game was. I really was. Um, and surprisingly, the Bengals offense that day was worse than ours. Here's what I have, though. I've got a Bears victory, uh, 14 to 3. Uh, I think ultimately, these are the things that I figured on. First of all, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Nagy has a tendency to be pretty good after a brutal loss. The Bears are phenomenal at home. I mean, just like over time uh, in the franchise's history, in recent history, I mean, this is they're 448 and 257 at home, 448 wins and 257 losses. Uh, and so I, I, to me, that would be the sway uh, are those factors. I think the defense comes up big uh, and forces some turnovers. Um, I'll, I'll tell you, I'm, I'm not a homer. Like I try to look at it objectively, um, but I also know that I could be very wrong. But I picked the Bears 14-3. How about, how about you all? Steve? Well, I, I kind of predicted that I said, I think I said five and 12, we would go at the start of the season. And um, I received a bit of criticism for being overly pessimistic, but I said we'd lose the first three games and we did. I kind of just feel that this is the game that we get on the scoreboard um, because the, the offense is so bad. And I, I think they will have a bounce back. But I think our defence has been improving. Um, and also, I think we've got enough weapons with Hawkinson, Swift, Jamal Williams. I think we've got enough to do it. I think it's going to be a really tight game. Um, but I think this will be like a, a three-point game maximum either way. But I think the Lions can just nick it. And I think we can win by seven. And this is not a knock on the Bears, but I think... You know, you say, I don't think the Bears have seen this type of a Detroit team in a while. We have not had a defensive line for so long 
the reason Mitch Trubisky was so successful against us is because you could establish the running, he could do his play action and look good. Whereas now, for the first time ever, we've got a good front seven. We sacked Lamar Jackson four times last week. The Ravens gave up 19 in 16 all last season. It's so hard to get to him. Whereas, you know, you're seeing a new evolution to this team. Our strength is our defensive line. And I see that offensive line crumbling again like it did. We've just got so many weapons there. That linebacker at safety who can rush the quarterback. So I just see us being able to limit the amount of points you score against us. And, you know, our, our offense does just enough. I have faith in the offensive line to create running gaps for Williams and Swift. They're a good duo together. Anthony Lynn has proven himself to be a very good play caller this year. If you watched the Ravens game, it wasn't working in the first half. We didn't score any points. We came out in the second and they couldn't stop us. You know, it's not like the Patricia offences over the years where it's plan A and plan A only. We can now adapt to a situation and, you know, use our assets to take advantage of it. So I just look at it together and, you know, we're close to a win. You know, that, that shockingly sickening field goal you know, in 99.9% of other cases would never have gone in. And we'd have beaten the Ravens at playoff side. I think we're so close. And I think that aggression is just going to come out this weekend and we're going to take it all out on you. So, and it is maybe a little biased, but I have my reasoning behind it. I think the thing for me that really says to me that Detroit are going to eke out this win is that it's the guys that we have almost forgotten about on this team have started to make plays Nick Williams, former Bear, has five pressures on the interior this season. Like, this is something that we're not used to having. It's just, it's cra- Romeo Acquire is joint fourth in pressures this season with 16. Charles Harris on two-thirds of the snaps has nine as a designated pass rusher. Julian Acquire had four on ten plays last week. And, you know, I'm not talking about Michael Brockers and I'm not talking about Austin Bryant getting his first ever NFL sack in his third season here, fourth season here, or whatever it is. This defensive line has actually started to step up. It's, it's something that Ant just said, but it's worth saying again. I'd like to see more sacks because we have pressures without sacks. And as Steve liked to say last year, pressures without sacks sometimes turns into a quarterback throwing the ball deep and burning. So it's risky. But if we can start converting those, this defense has the ability to do it. If they don't, our secondary will get burned because the Bears can do that too. So I'm calling this game 14-13 in favor of the Lions. But one thing I do not think is at risk is the over on this game. 42 and a half sounds so high to me. Like, mm. if you said to me it was 30... I would be tempted on the over, but 42 and a half is just crazy. It's worth bearing in mind that every single over-under I've picked for the Lions game so far this year has been wrong. But <laughs> I think yeah, it's worth bearing in mind. I think the main so take, thing, take that to the bank. <laughs> I, think the main, I think the main thing to take away to anyone who's not obviously watched us against us is Dan Campbell is making this team play better than the sum of its parts. You know, they're playing as a team for the first time ever. And they may not be the most talented in some areas, but where we are talented, you know, we're really good. And everyone's just stepping it up a notch to, you know, because we've not been blown away by teams. San Francisco, 
we nearly came back. I mean, fair enough there, but the Packers struggled to get away from us. The Ravens struggled to get away from us. This is the team that's fighting a lot more now, and Najee's not going to have the pleasure of having a vanilla offense and a defense that doesn't adjust anymore. You know, he's actually going to have to earn his paycheck to try and beat them this time because we'll adjust and we'll keep on fighting. We will not give up. All right, Winston, <laughs> calm down, lad. We will fight them. On the- no, I'm not doing that far. But that's all I'd say to someone who's not seen us is that's what you're going to see. You're going to see I, I will- I will say that I that that is something that I have noticed in the Detroit Lions games that I've seen, which makes me weary going in. I think like th- this is different than a typical year where we might just discount the Lions and chalk it up as a win, right? Because we would just like make an assumption that the Detroit Lions were a hot mess, and you know that Stafford alone couldn't beat us. I think quite honestly, you know, in the last whatever three to four years. That, that would be the way that I would view this game. And so I think to your point, Hans, like yes, I think there is a distinctly different flair to this team that has been noticeable, not like clearly not just to you, but, but to me. And I think, uh, you know, I think nationwide, it, 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 there's, there's a difference. I think, you know, you're, I hope, I think your needle's going up, like, I think. I hope you're right. Um, we've, we've taken up a lot of your time, Jack, and, and thank you so much for coming on. Um, just tell us quickly, I know that a couple of our guys are possibly coming on to the Bear Down Reports post-game show on Sunday. Yes, Ant, sorry. Sorry, I just wanted to sneak in one last question. Um, sure. How, how do you feel about the proposed stadium move? Are you going to be sad to leave Soldier Field or will you be glad to move and start afresh? Uh, glad to move and start afresh. Uh, I think I'm all for tradition. Uh, the, the site on the lake is beautiful. I mean, there's no doubting that the whole lakefront of Chicago is beautiful. It's one of the greatest things about the city. We'll never have a Super Bowl <laughs> in that stadium. It's one of the lowest capacity stadiums. It's incredibly difficult to get in and out of the current stadium. When you get in, it's really nice. I mean, there's really not a bad seat in the house when you get inside of it. But I think it's about time we look at some sort of a, a Vikings esque or a SoFi or a Lucas Oil, something like that with a dome or a retractable dome uh, where we can just get way more going and uh, open up the parking lots, uh, allow anybody that wants to pay for parking to go there and tailgate. Uh, currently, I don't know if you know this or not, but you have to basically like put your name in a lottery to be able to get, even to be able to get tickets to be able to park, to be able to tailgate. Um, and that's a big part of our I, I guess our football culture, you know, and the fandom that goes along with being a bears fan, you know, I mean, let's face it. Like there's plenty of teams like, you know, Dallas isn't playing in Dallas, you know, the stadium's 20 miles outside the city. Um, you know, so there's a lot of stadiums that are like that. And so uh, long story short, I- I'm glad about it, but just as a side note, my family and I went to Arlington racetrack in Arlington Heights where the proposed site is going to be. And I grew up loving it. Um, secretly, I hope they can, there's a ton of land where they're planning on going. I hope they can keep the racetrack and build the stadium, but that's just me like, you know, hoping my best of hopes. Cause it's 27 miles out of town. It's like a long way out of town. It is, but you know what? The train from downtown goes directly there. So anybody from the city could get there pretty easily. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, you know, folks like me that live further out in the suburbs, um, you know, the traffic and the accessibility uh, would be way improved. 
And, and I guess this is you keeping it with, you know, the Raiders, the Rams, the Chargers. They've all got these kind of like, it's not even a stadium. It's like a complex. You've got the restaurants, the shopping, the hospitality. So I guess they've got the space to do all that. The, yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the modern trend is to do, you know, I think Boston set, you know, kind of the standard when it comes to Fenway and baseball, where they basically just took over the entire neighborhood adjacent to the stadium and just made the, you know, hotels and restaurants and bars. And it seems as though, you know, th that t tends to be the trend. Um, you know, I mean, I guess what I'm, I'm talking about from a fan perspective, the bears are already one of the highest grossing franchises. So from that perspective, it's also a, an excellent business move in my opinion, to be able to, I mean, I, I can't even imagine how lucrative the entire thing will end up being for, you know, the organization. I think it's a, it's a really smart business move on their part. Let's hope They're that good Justin, at the business. Let's hope really that Justin Fields is money. still alive to see it. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so tell us a bit more about the Bear Down Report, and I know a couple of our guys are going to be coming on your show hopefully Sunday after the game. So what what can we expect from that? So you know, I mean, the Bear Down Report was started by uh, Mike Page, and it started mostly uh, as the website, um, uh, thebeardownreport.com, and. Um, you know, I think initially, you know, you tried to see if you could get Ryan on and I don't blame you because Ryan Dangle is awesome. And so Ryan is a close friend of mine and, uh, um, you know, Ryan is a close friend with Mike Page. And so Ryan and I work together and we love the bears. And so, uh, last year we started to, um, begin to record a podcast as well. And mostly due to Ryan and just how dynamic Ryan is. Um, you know, he, he edits it, he puts it all together. Um, you know, we're, we're just small right now and it's been kind of a side hustle, but it's, uh, you know, uh, it's just a passion. It's not work. Uh, and so what we've really tried to go for, I don't know, uh, you know, how much, you know, the Chicago area, but you can get a lot of meatheads in the Chicago area, you know, just like a, you know, not a lot of, sometimes a lot of thoughtfulness. And so what we really try to do is provide analysis. That's not, I, I call it chachi or meathead analysis. It's hopefully looking at the bears in a more uh, informed way, you know, uh, hopefully in an objective way uh, and to try to make it entertaining and fun at the same time. Um, we've tried to get great guests on. Uh, we've had, you know, a Patriot tight end, uh, Matt Lacoste on for instance, uh, and some other area uh, reporters uh, that are highly respected, um, as well. And we've added Brendan Shagru recently, uh, and we've got, uh, Logan Bradley on the podcast who has worked with the big 10 network and is, you know, just a really smart, funny guy. So, you know, I mean, right now we're just having a ton of fun, uh, breaking down, you know, the games, even though the bears aren't like overly good. Um, but you know, we appreciate your support and everybody else's support. Uh, and, um, you know, looking forward to having, uh, you know, you folks on as much as possible. I think it's, it's a great community, isn't it? I mean, it's just a, a really cool, fun community uh, of guys that I think just like, love football and love their teams. And I think provide great analysis, really. Yeah, so if, yeah, if, if, if the Bears win, if you could forget all my earlier comments about how I think we're going to beat you and just go easy on me, I'd, I'd, I'd prefer that. <laughs> I, I recorded all of them uh, and I will specifically tweet them back to you. <laughs> uh, I, I live and I live and die by what I say, so you know, yeah, bring yeah. it on. After after last week, there's not much more that can hurt us. 
Yeah. yeah. I'm, uh, you know, I'm being playful. <laughs> I, I, you know, again, the Kunos, you know, that's why they play the games, I suppose, right? Right. Anyway, thank you so much for coming on. We, we really appreciate your time. Um, and hope, well, we'll see you on Sunday and, and good luck, but not too much. Thank you for having me on. And thank you so much for being patient with me with my audio issues at the beginning. I really appreciate it. It's been a blast talking to you guys. You too. Fantastic. All thank right. you very much. See you soon. All right. Thanks, see guys. you again soon. Take care. All right. Go Bears. FTP. Oh, we need to edit. We need to edit that out. Oh man, we can't have that. Right, boys. We've been going for quite a long time, and if you're still listening, I mean, thank you. But why? Um, <laughs> we've been going longer than Trey Flair's highlight reel. Ah, right. Our next episode will be Monday, fourth of October. Lions at Bears review show. As I mentioned at the top of the show, Royal Lions College Football podcast is on the audio platforms and should be on youtube shortly so watch out for that and i don't know if you're planning on doing a watch party on sunday or not but i certainly am not here i know you're taking up with the live tweeting a lot so potentially not uh i'm at work till six so I, I will be rushing back for the game so i may do one at one stage but if not just come and converse with me on twitter because a lot of you already do and it's it's great fun i'm having a yeah. lot of fun with that so um yeah come for us for that and then We've got the college podcast again next Wednesday. We've got a lot going on there. We're looking at cornerbacks for the next draft. And Ferg, I don't know whether he's been in or not tonight, gave us a long list of players he wants us to look at. So me and Ryan are having a little competition as well, see what we can come up with. So there's a lot going on there as well. But yeah, join me Sunday. I really love the Twitter interaction we get. It's good fun. And hopefully we can have a win to go with it this time because I'm going to go absolutely berserk if we do, because I mentioned it in Discord earlier, I had the game-winning tweet already up and ready to send on Sunday. It was going to be epic, and I was sat there just waiting to press send. I saw that doink, and I I sat there nearly crying. I had to delete it, and I don't want to do that again. I can't do that again. Justin Tucker, you ruined my week. I'm not quite sure that the Bear Down report uh, have got any comprehension of how annoying me and Ant are going to be if the Lions win on Sunday. <laughs> like, I really think they've underestimated exactly how gloating and bad bad winners we will be. I'm going to stick a load of signs around this room saying bear down on it and all sorts. It's it's going to be fun. Just hang up a big number of the amount of times we've sacked whoever's playing quarterback. Um, yeah, me and Steve are going to be absolutely insufferable. Yeah. And uh, if not, and- we're just going to be very quiet. <laughs> And if we do win the game, you guys watching along live, we will be tweeting out the link to watch that show live. If you want to have a Lions invasion, we would appreciate your support. So look out for that link coming on Sunday because we are going to need you. Right. Those are our next shows. Good luck with Lions on Sunday. Socials, you know what it is by now. Royal Lions UK, YouTube, Twitch, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook group, Detroit Lions Fans UK, One Pride Worldwide. My uh, preview of this game on the blog is going to be at royalalliancenk.com probably tomorrow morning US time afternoon Steve, UK time Steve's got to check it first so it's Steve's got to do the check not I'll be running my red pen over it I do, I do just want to interject quickly and just say you know thank you for everyone who's following us on the socials wise everything is going mad a lot more people are following us I just appreciate all the love you send in our way you know we're a small little British podcast who goes on for hours and hours and hours and you're doing nothing but embracing us so Thank you to everyone in the chat who listens. I really can't say it enough. We've gone past 1,200. We're still firing upwards. 
we we really really appreciate it we we honestly do makes all yep. this worth it it does and don't forget apple Podcasts reviews shout out on the next show i will be looking out for those so please do that you guys would really appreciate that just remains to me to thank my co-host anthony fitzpatrick steve collins my name's matthew turner come on lions get your first one on the board let's go one and get your tray flowers highlights in let's get matt Nagy's ass fired fuck the packers and fuck the bears bear down Thank you.